You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the Oz Network as we come to you for week two of the greatest month in the month. It is Jurassic Park month, Jurassic World month, whatever you want to say, it's Jurassic month. And we are now into the second part of the Jurassic Park slash World Quadrilogy. It is... The Lost World, Jurassic Park. The sequel that came out in 1997. So big was the movie in 1993 that basically Steven Spielberg said, Hey, Michael Crichton, write me a novel so I can make a sequel. And he did. And this is what we got. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this because this is a movie that I think a lot of people don't like. And I think over the years, I always tend to like this one more and more. Uh, having said that, I have been in the didn't really like camp. For a period of time, but I think we're going to have a very interesting uh, episode here to talk about this today. My name is Ben, and listening to this podcast is the worst idea in the history of bad ideas. And my name is Carl... Carl... Pompadour! Elvis! <laughs> oh, good old quote. The other one I wanted to use was, uh, we don't even have Sega, we're such a troglodyte, but I thought that might date too much by the time we release this podcast. Um, the Lost World <laughs> Jurassic Park, obviously we were so excited for last week. I'm excited for this week, but uh, I, I want to hear your history about this film first, Colin Hilding, because I don't think I've ever heard your history about the Lost World Jurassic Park. So tell us your history about the Lost World Jurassic Park. Well, I mean, of course... It goes along with the history of Jurassic Park 1. I mean, I was excited, you know, for this to come out for probably about four years. Um, you know, maybe three years from the point I actually saw the movie since it took me a year to see Jurassic Park. Uh, <laughs> but I just remember waiting for it. And I remember exactly like you said in the beginning that it was Spielberg sort of telling Michael Crichton, write me a novel so I can make a movie. And uh, that novel, I guess, waiting for that to come out. And I think, what, what, did that get published in 95 or 96? Do you know? Yeah. 95, 95. Okay, yeah, 95. But, of course, I wasn't going to pay for, you know, a, a hardcover, which was probably like $30 even <laughs> then. And uh, the whole – if you tried to get a book from the library and it was a really big book like this, I mean, it was basically on hold for a year anyway. So as soon as it came out on paperback and I only had to pay like $10 for it, I picked it up. So I think 96, I read the book, and I thought the book was okay. Uh, I kind of assumed they're going to change a lot of this. And uh, just waiting for the movie, though, I mean, I got more excited for the movie, even though I had read the book and was maybe a little bit underwhelmed with certain parts of it. I remember that first teaser trailer coming out, uh, which really just showed a few shots of, like, the trailer scene. Uh, and that was, like, a year ahead of time. And then just waiting for this to come out, you know, just getting more and more excited. And I was there opening day, and uh, I sat in the theater, and I-, I distinctly remember as this pack theater was letting out, there were these two other kids behind me, and uh, one of them asked, what did you think about it? The other one went, it was okay. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, <laughs> exactly my thought. It's okay, you know? <laughs> uh, but I will say I'm, I'm kind of with you that I wasn't really ever in the, the haters camp with this. There are bad things about this movie, uh, some bad things that I really have never gotten over. But there's a lot of things that I think that this movie doesn't get given enough credit for. There have been periods, sort of like you, where I'm like I'm up and down with this. I'm very bipolar with this movie, and uh, I, I sort of am coming off this period where I was a, a bigger appreciator of it. And maybe the last, you know, time, this time and the previous time I watched movie, I'm picking up on flaws that I never picked up on before. Uh, so I'm sort of halfway in between your opinion of this movie ages well 
and the opinion of this movie doesn't age well. So this episode is sort of going to determine where I'm going to land with my opinion on The Lost World. It was 21 years old. It was 20th anniversary last year. And I think when we first looked at, you know, doing anniversary month last year, then, but oh, look, I hope we'll save it for, uh, you know, when we do Jurassic World month next year. But yeah, I mean, I was 10 when this movie came out. I remember all the lead up to it again, obviously having loved the first one, uh, you know, just all excited for it. I remember the first trailer for it, like as you were saying, it just, it just built up to it so well and just all the hype around this because it was, um, I believe the, biggest ever opening weekend at the time wasn't it um so you know i mean it was hype and everything around this movie was huge uh, i remember all sort of the interviews being done on like australian tv with like the cast and everything along those lines and getting all the merchandise like, like a little you know i wasn't old enough to read the proper novels i read like the children's novel um when that came out, getting like all the the toys and i think there was like a, a playstation video game release and everything so it was you know very exciting and i remember going to see this with my dad um, and as a 10 year old, I'm going to love it walking out of the, the cinema. Um, so I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. And I just think as, you know, I mentioned before, it's just over the years, you kind of watch it and you kind of, like, uh, you know, they could have done this, they could have done that. And then when I eventually read the novel, uh, again, I did read something. It was, you know, you just, you read the potential of what you could have been. Um, and I will say that I, I'm not as familiar with the novel as I am with the first Jurassic Park movie. It's been a while since I've actually read The Lost World, so I'm not going to be as up-to-date on some of the things in this compared to, to the Jurassic Park novel. But I just, I feel that over the years, every time I watch it, I appreciate it more. And I don't even know if it's in Jurassic World that I seem to appreciate this one. It's going to be interesting, you know, when we talk about Jurassic Park 3 next week to see how I feel about that, because I'm bipolar that from week to week. <laughs> but... Yeah, I just, there's so much about this movie that even watching this last night, it's just, I think we're going to very much differ when we get to the final sequence, which I know is generally the the sequence of this film, which is not liked the most. Everyone just does not like the fact that T-Rex goes to San Diego. I personally am a big fan of it, and I think in watching it and reading and seeing all the clues that kind of set this up, which obviously we know that there's meant to be a different ending to this movie, and we'll talk about that. But I, I don't know, I just, I feel this film, to me, gets more and more complete and i don't pick apart as much of it as i used to so yeah i'm going to look forward to talking about this there is definitely one scene in this movie which is arguably one of the bottom two worst moments in all of Jurassic oh, Park series I, we already know maybe the worst um but yeah like i don't know it's 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 even the cast and everything along these lines because it's, it's an interesting cast going into this film you know ignoring jeff goldblum because he is king but, you know, thinking of people like Julianne Moore and Vince Vaughn, and uh, this is pre-West Wing, wasn't it? So, yeah. is it Shife? Sheaf? Sheaf. How do you ever say his name? Um, you know, we had Pete Postlewaite. He's yes. sadly no longer with us, of course. Um, I mean, it's, it's a pretty big cast uh, of these actors who now have gone on to usually Julianne Moore is a household name. She's an Oscar winner. You know, Vince Vaughn now known really for comedy as opposed to serious stuff. So, I, I mean, I, I enjoy the cast in this movie, and you talked about it last week, and I, I really, I don't know how I 100% agree with you, but I might be swayed on this whole notion that the score for this movie is even better than the first one, because that main theme for this movie is just brilliant. Yeah. It is so goddamn good. Um, but I, I, I kind of feel like this gets lost in Jurassic Park folklore in terms of just the overall nature, because, you know, everyone remembers the first film. Everyone is quick to rip shit into the third film. Everyone's like, oh, Jurassic World has rebooted it. We can't wait for the next one. And then there's poor old little Lost World Jurassic Park sitting there. People are just forgotten about it. Do you feel that's the case? Because I think it's the case. 
I, th- I think that's the same with both two and three. I mean, you rarely will hear positive things. It's funny because I'll say this. You rarely hear positive things said about either Lost World or Jurassic Park 3, but you also rarely hear really negative things said about them. Um, mm. They're both – I mean, it, it's amazing in watching this this time how much it just felt like Jaws 2 to me. You know, it's like perfectly adequate mm. sequel. And I, the same thing can be said for Jurassic yeah. Park 3 as well. Perfectly adequate for what it was – but in no way was it ever going to be anywhere near as good as the first one. And yeah, I think that's that's kind of, I guess, the reputation of all the Jurassic Park sequels. You know, maybe even five years down the road, this is probably going to be the same with the, the Jurassic World. Is just they're all, you know, they are what they are. There's nothing special about them. But you know, you still go back and watch these because you love the first one. And there's that appeal of the dinosaurs and everything. But as movies probably nothing extraordinary about any of them and yeah, that's a that's a very good point actually it's been a long time since i've seen jaws 2 but i remember i kind of enjoyed jaws 2 um but i think too i remember the promo for this one just the, the big tagline and the big you know promotion of this was the fact that there's more dinosaurs you know like we're gonna see more than we saw in the first one and of course they're free now they're not behind fences and it's like oh it's dangerous um, but it's funny then like, when you watch like the honest trader and they're just like, this is just a generic run- running away from dinosaur movie, which eh, I don't necessarily, uh, I think agree with that. Uh, do, do you feel, I mean, yeah, okay, never mind, you do. Um, <laughs> it's kind of, it's interesting though, like the, the main part of this with Isla Sauna as opposed to Isla Nublar, the fact that this is, you know, site B, um, which I think, you know, the next two weeks we're going to talk a lot about, things around the plot of, of Jurassic Park, because you pointed out a pretty big plot hole last week about the whole San Diego uh, building the park there, which I thought I'd kind of, in watching this, hang on, I'm like, hang on a minute, Colin, you're wrong. But then there was a part which made you right, so I was like, ah, oh, damn, yeah. damn it. Um, <laughs> but then also the one which I've been watching a lot of sort of these YouTube theory videos about Jurassic Park, and there's some quite interesting ones connecting this in Jurassic Park 3, which we'll talk about next week about, you know, because I've always, when, when I've rewatched this film, I've always thought like, yeah, that's where Alan and all that are going to be in the next film. But then it's kind of like, well, hang on a minute, where's the Spinosaurus? Hang on a minute, where's yeah. this? Hang on, where's that? And the fact that this is obviously on a completely different part of the island. So, um, Site B, this was a big, that was tagged about. And, you know, lots of little plot holes that we'll mention throughout this, about this being the factory floor. I guess, compared to, you know, the actual tourist park. But um, I, one thing I was also reading, too, was the fact that now we've got Jurassic World and kind of the first one and the second one. It's all about Isla Nublar again. Do we miss Isla Sauna? Yeah. I kind of never thought I would, but I kind of feel like we need to mention this island again in a future Jurassic World movie. Yeah, you know, I always was fascinated with the idea of going back to the park because, and I think this goes back to what we ended the last episode on, that the idea that everybody had was that Jurassic Park 2 would be about going back in and maybe restoring order on Isla Nublar, uh, and they never sort of went there. And I, I always sort of wish we could see this rundown park, which we see little bits of a Jurassic World. But to be perfectly honest, even though I wasn't like thrilled with the Lost World, when they said in Jurassic Park 3 they were going back to Isla Sorna again instead of Isla Nublar, I was excited because I think it's like, I don't know, it's just sort of... Seeing like the dinosaurs in the jungle and everything, it, it it feels a little bit more exciting in some ways. Like like you know, it's this big King Kong monster movie. Uh, I, I've always sort of been more partial to Isla Sorna uh, than I have mm. Isla Nublar. Plus, I just love the idea of a site B. That this isn't like it's not an amusement park. This was like the 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 scientific labs and everything. 
Yeah, no, I agree completely. And it's weird because, like, I was probably, you know, when this came out in Jurassic Park 3, I'm like, oh, I want to see what happens on Isla Nublar. Now that we've gone back to Isla Nublar, I'm like, I want to see what happens on Isla Sauna. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, you, you can never win with it. Um, before we get started, I mean, obviously Steven Spielberg directed this film. This is, besides the Indiana Jones movies, is this the first ever sequel that he ever directed? Sorry, Jamie. As just Jamie gets everything. angry at the fact that she yeah. kind of like, I don't know what everything just fell out of the there. fridge. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think. Well, he did. He didn't do Jaws two. That's right. So Indiana Jones, this um, Saving Private Ryan two. We forgot about that one. Amistad two. Um, <laughs> I, it's funny though because that that's true. This is the only sequel he ever did. Uh, other than Indiana Jones, and it's only now that he's saying he's going to make, like, Ready Player One 2, which might have something to do with the fact that Ready Player One's the only hit movie he's had since, like, Minority Report. I don't know. But Would it not just be called Ready Player 2? Or maybe. Or bad thing Yeah, they're going to eventually fall into, like, the Ocean's 11, Ocean's 12, Ocean's Bless 13. <laughs> There's a lot of disturbances in the background this week. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jamie's destroying the fridge. Mallory's allergic to something in the background. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it is interesting to see somebody who had never made a sequel make a sequel. And I, I, I feel like in some ways when I was watching this, I also was comparing it not only to Jaws 2, but also to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You know, a movie that Spielberg maybe tried to make a little too different. And then the whole balance of making a darker movie with sometimes humor that wasn't appropriate for that darker tone. It was very similar in this from uh, Temple of Doom, I felt. And it's it's weird because like does this really film like a feel like a Spielberg film to you because I always forget that he directs this film I somebody else because it doesn't really feel that much like a Spielberg movie to me. Uh, there's moments that really take you out of that whole Spielberg you know movie, but I think everything that followed this, uh, you if you look at AI he made after this right, and then War of the Worlds and Indiana Jones King of the Crystal Skull, it, from this point on it almost became. Uh, like his trademark that Spielberg was going to have a perfect ending for the movie and then jump into something that's so out of left field, that's so unnecessary, that basically ruins the movie by going over the top with an unnecessary ending. Uh, so at the time this came out, yeah, but I think that he's kind of, he's fallen into these same traps that he fell into with The Lost World time and time again since then. But there, there are these like Spielberg shots that I feel like, you know, you would only get out of a Spielberg. Like, the overhead shot we're going to get into later on when you start seeing the raptors through the grass and all that. Moments like that mm. always make me feel like this is a Spielberg movie. Uh, but the movie itself is, like, I don't know, he, he's not really the type of guy to do a really violent movie like this, too. And this movie's a lot more violent than the first one as far as, like, the dinosaur violence goes. And probably the most violent of the whole series. Yeah, no, I definitely, definitely agree with that. It's the darkest of the whole series too, which, I mean, a lot of people are talking up uh, Fallen Kingdom as being, you know, going back to its dark roots and a bit of fear amongst it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's some great tense scenes in this film too that, you know, you don't necessarily going to get in the next two movies. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward. Let's talk about this movie. Anything else you want to add before we talk about this movie? I don't know if I'm missing anything glaring here about uh, the pre-stuff. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, were you were you sad that we didn't get Grant? I will say, I remember yeah. being a little kid and sad that we didn't sort of get Grant or Ellie back and that Lex and Tim are only going to be in it for like two seconds. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's funny because um, maybe because I read the novel first and then saw the movie and it's a completely different depiction of Ian Malcolm. It never really occurred to me how out of place Malcolm actually is in the story. That basically, none of these people should be in a sequel. 
It doesn't make any sense, <laughs> and that's bringing these characters back every time. You're like, it doesn't make sense story wise for them to ever be in this situation again. And I like the way they play up on that here, but uh, I was just reading some of the the reviews for the novel. Uh, before um, uh, I watched the movie this past time, just to remind myself of some of the things in the novel. And one of the reviews I read s- seemed interesting, where it was basically saying that, like, even in the novel, it didn't make sense for Ian Malcolm to be there, and that chances are Michael Crichton wrote the characters in the novels being all original characters, and Spielberg said, we're going to get Jeff Goldblum back for the sequel. The studio says we need one person back. Can you make it Ian Malcolm? And that's probably how it happened. Which, of course, as I think we mentioned uh, at the end of the first novel, Malcolm's dead. Yeah, uh, so they have to quickly, <laughs> quickly restore that. In the, and doesn't he? Doesn't he simply say something like, um, "You know, he was believed to have died." Yeah, exactly. But the, the media reports were wrong. It's like, well, no, you were telling this story from your own perspective, Michael Crichton. Like, how many years ago? You, and, well, you're not the media. And I think that they even <laughs> mentioned, like, at the beginning of the book, that. They sort of lied about his death so that they could get the media off of his back as well. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, Jeff Goldblum. I mean, it's, this is a real case. I think we mentioned it last week about um, the the Raiders of the Lost Ark argument that, like, take Ian Malcolm out of this movie, nothing changes. Yeah, <laughs> like I really <laughs> noticed that in this time. I love him, and, and I'm going to defend him because I know people sort of rip shit into the fact that he's different from the, the first movie, which you know, uh, no, yeah, but like. He does nothing of importance in this whole film, does he? No. Um, <laughs> you, you wonder why Hammond has him there in the first place, too. But uh, if people are sort of wondering, you know, why I say I prefer even Jurassic Park 3 over this, I feel like there's certain... I mentioned last week that I feel like if you combine both sequels, you get a perfect Jurassic Park sequel. There's great ideas that this movie had that I think the third one found a way to maybe complete a little bit better. And... Ian Malcolm's character being so different is one of those things. Like, uh, all I was thinking about in watching this time was, you know, you were mentioning so much last week about how different Ian Malcolm's character was. So I was trying to pick apart at what points does he actually feel like the Ian Malcolm from the first one. And all I could think about was that line from um, the uh, the third one where uh, the kid, I can't remember the the, the name of the kid, uh, where he's talking to Alan. Eric, isn't it? Eric, yeah. And he's talking to Alan. He's like, I read your book, both of them. And he goes... I like the first one better before you're on the island. You actually like dinosaurs then. And Grant says, well, back then they hadn't tried to eat me yet. <laughs> like that's that's a real point in this movie that they don't sell well enough that maybe they do a little bit better in Jurassic Park 3 with Alan Grant is the idea that these people would be completely changed by this. I mean, they're never going to want to probably be yeah. near a zoo again, let alone, you know, near a dinosaur. <laughs> so it makes sense that he's a completely different character. I like the one when isn't that he says the line something like that. It's like, did you read Malcolm's book? And he's like, yeah, he just seems very on himself. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you have no idea. He's like, he's really <laughs> high on himself. That's one thing that we agree on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I, I like that bit. But um, we start off with the opening scene, which is actually technically a scene from the first book. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a very, 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 very snooty British family. <laughs> have employed the entire Costa Rican Navy to be their slaves, apparently. Um, and they've somehow pulled up to have a lovely lunch on a lovely little beach. And their little girl, Kathy, just happens to run into the jungle because uh, she doesn't want to have lunch. She wants to take a beef sandwich, which for some reason she also needs lunch after eating a beef sandwich. Um, and she comes across some little green lizards. Uh, they're compies. And she feeds them, and they eventually attack her. 
and we get this opening scream, which cuts to Malcolm. Which I, I just want to talk about this opening scene separately because before I start laughing about it, um, <laughs> that sounds horrible. A child's getting injured. Ben's going to laugh about it. Um, this obviously is directly from the first book, uh, which is is very different in the first book. It's kind of based on a, a what an American family who are driving through Costa Rica, and this is kind of going back to what we're saying about how the dinosaurs have escaped the island and they're actually on the mainland. So this kind of is based on that scene. And there's a, a lot more around this kind of in the discovery of dinosaurs and everything in the first book. But this, I just, I'm watching this thinking of, hello, Noah, should he ever be uh, listening to this? Snooty British rich people. Um, can I just say, I absolutely love this woman, the mum, who's just basically, no one likes her. Like her husband is like, oh, for God's sake, dear, leave her alone. <laughs> Like, even the little girl is just, like, running away from her. And then she goes to open a bottle of champagne. It's right in front of her. And she's like, Edward! <laughs> like, come and open this bottle of champagne. I just laugh at this woman. But, like, why have they hired, like, an entire navy to be this place? <laughs> like, there's so many of them. When they come running to see her, like, getting eaten, there's literally, like, 50 of these men in navy uniforms. Either they've got some weird little kink show going on or they've just hired a navy. Like, I don't get it. But um, anyway, that's besides the point. It's terrible. This little girl's been attacked by compies. And we've got introduced to our first new dinosaur uh, straight away in this film. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, the sequence isn't anything extraordinary. Um, partly because, I mean, you don't get to see a lot of action. They're dealing with a kid here, so... They're not going to, you know, have the kid eaten alive like Dieter is later on. But the thing that I always loved about this sequence was how bad the accents are for this entire family. Like, I guarantee not one of these actors was British in real life. It's like, uh, oh, just leave her alone. (laughs) The mother's like, (laughs) Kathy, darling, lunchtime. Prawns, your favorite. I don't like prawns. Like... It's just, Jamie loved that one. It's just the most over-the-top bad British accents I've ever heard. Um, I can't really find if these people are British or not. Although, the little girl, uh, um, uh, the actress Camilla Bell, uh, I remember years later seeing her in something else and they, they you know interviewed her and they said, oh, you were the little girl at the beginning of The Lost World. She went on not to become like incredibly famous, but she was in a couple of pretty big blockbusters like uh the uh roland emmerich movie 10,000 bc uh push 10, was, BC, yeah yeah you, and push with uh chris evans uh not to mention that you're gonna love this one ben she starred in the two minute short film dirty dancing three playing the role of baby <laughs> no <laughs> from who the... makes that why would you make them like two minutes is too long to be a, a it like, was what the hell? clearly like one of these things, let's make a trailer for a movie that uh, we hope somebody's going to pay us to make, like, you know, Hobo with a Shotgun. Uh, well, that's probably something only Canadians know, but... <laughs> Hobo with a Shotgun? What's you don't know about... Okay, well, you know about Grindhouse, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so like the Grindhouse movie that Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez made, they had the fake trailers that played in the middle of it. One of them was Machete, which went on to become like the Machete movie. Uh, they held a contest in Canada only where people were allowed to submit their own fake Grindhouse-style movie trailer. And if yours was picked, they would put it on the movie. And the one that won was from some filmmaker in Newfoundland or something. And it was called Hobo with a Shotgun. 
And uh, a couple years after Grindhouse came out, this fake trailer that was a Canadian-only thing that played in Grindhouse uh, became popular enough that they made a uh, fairly critically acclaimed movie starring Rutger Hauer as a hobo with a shotgun. So, <laughs> obviously the same fame didn't come. Coming soon to the old network. Yeah, well, we should do that. It would be fun. Um, but yeah, obviously the same thing didn't happen with Dirty Dancing 3. But, I don't know, these over-the-top British accents are just hilarious. Uh, and just how snooty, you're talking about like the snooty people, like the little girl's the snootiest of all. Like she's complaining about what she has to eat for lunch. She doesn't want to stay on the beach. Uh, you know, she's feeding the wildlife. She deserves to get eaten. She really does. <laughs> this little kid had it coming, let's be honest. <laughs> Violence against children already in the episode here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's an okay scene. The effects are really what the appeal is here with the compies and also being able to see the compies the first time, which, you know, were a much bigger part of the Jurassic Park novel, like you said, and they're a huge part of the Lost World novel, too. Uh, and I think it's just, it's it's completely different because we talked about last week about the size of dinosaurs and how everybody thinks that all dinosaurs are huge and that even some breeds of raptors are the size of compies. They're tiny. And the fact that they said, let's include these tiny dinosaurs in the movie is kind of neat. But I don't know, if we're being honest, like, let's take the opening sequence from at least this whole trilogy here. I mean, this is by far the weakest. I mean, one in three really blow it away. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I'd agree with that 100%. You know, we get a little kid just getting eaten and snooty British people. So, I mean, even what, the fourth one, what does that start with? A dinosaur breaking through an egg. (laughs) That's up there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Um, But, I mean, the little girl, uh, she's definitely not British because if you ask her accent's the worst. I'm glad you pointed out the accents because she's all like, I don't like prawn. (laughs) And the next minute when she's with the convict, she's like, I. I don't have enough sound. Like, it's like, where's your accent gone? The compy scared the British out of you. Uh, <laughs> so, but I, I, I do like the transition, and you've got it as your picture on Skype. Yeah. I was going to use it too. Um, when, like, she's screaming, and it cuts to Malcolm in front of, like, some, you know, ad in the San Diego transit system of him yawning. <laughs> I like it's like I don't know it's kind of bad but at the same time I just always like it um, mm-hmm. just Malcolm just yawning um, gets on the train and we've got weird guy uh, I saw you on TV I believed you and then he does like this raw thing uh, which leads to all these other people all these other people staring at him um, he, can I just say Jeff Goldblum like you know again, I, I want Jamie's opinion on this perhaps to help me out here because I'm not meant to swing this way He's, 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 you know, he should be shirtless in this movie, all right? He looks pretty good in this film. <laughs> he should be shirtless riding the subway, right? Yes. <laughs> I want him riding the subway when this guy goes wrong. You know, when he appeared on, like, Good Morning America or 2020 or whatever, you know, doing all these expose interviews, do you picture him there with his shirt flaps open being interviewed by Barbara Walters? <laughs> All I see now of him is his grey-haired, you know, great-uncle-looking guy <laughs> reading memes on uh, funnyordie.com or advertising whatever that food company is here in Australia. He's on so many buses here in Queensland. Uh, menu log or whatever it's called. Is he yawning but, in the pictures like, for them? Because I mean, that would be appropriate. <laughs> sadly not. Sadly not. Uh, <laughs> 
But uh, this is why, like, I'm I'm excited to see him in Jurassic World too. But I'm also kind of like not looking to it because, you know, he was a good thing about Independence Day too, and even then he wasn't the same as he was in the first Independence Day. So oh wait 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 um, oh you're so critical of people saying well Ian Malcolm's not the same, and here you are he just wasn't the same in Independence Day too. <laughs> well, that's David Levison, right? Not Ian Malcolm. It's just been twenty years. Independence Day came out a year before this film, and he looks like a completely different person. Here he is, yeah. all leathered up, and you know, and yet a year before he's like geeky guy, <laughs> like getting drunk on the floor of uh, Area Fifty One or whatever it is. Uh, but anyway, so um, he's off to see um, uh, what's his name Hammond. That's his he's name. He's been summoned. <laughs> you should say <laughs> summoned the snootiest butler. Yeah. Uh, what this- is this the same guy from spider-man uh, <laughs> i wrote in my notes it's bernard <laughs> bernard had more personality this guy just stares at him whom shall i say is calling <laughs> oh, i'm british get out of here uh, <laughs> uh, comes inside and who should be there but our favorite kids from the first movie lex and tim yay <laughs> And Blink and you miss it and they're gone. Uh, <laughs> they're very well dressed, aren't they, Tim and Lex? Um, Do they not have parents anymore? And... I, well, they'd got divorced from him. <laughs> hanging out with granddad, granddad. He's the one who lets us go to the dinosaur park. Screw you, mum and dad. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I always, this is one thing, I always wish that we got to see more of them. I mean, it's just like a token cameo because it's like, hey, look, here they are. I remember them from the first film. But I, I kind of, I mean, I don't know if they'll ever do it, but I'd like them to bring back Lex or Tim in one of the future Jurassic World mm-hmm. movies. I don't know how you feel about that, but, you know, I mean, we know Ariana Richards is just off painting things, um, so I mean, she's not exactly busy. Well, uh, do you remember, so... like, the earliest rumors? We're talking, like, 2003, 2004, following Jurassic Park 3, when Jurassic Park 4 was going to be the direct sequel, and there was all this talk that they had signed Kira Knightley to play the adult version of Lex. Mm, I do vaguely remember that. I, I, I tried to like, block out all those rumors after Jurassic Park 3 involving hybrid dinosaurs with humans. <laughs> Until uh, they were confirmed <laughs> as being real and they released all the artwork. Yeah. Oh, my God. that was We definitely dodged a bullet there. <laughs> um, like, I know we sort of got a, a weird version of it in Jurassic World, but at least in Jurassic World, that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Not like, hey, we're going to hybrid these with humans. No. No, you're not. <laughs> just just stop it. Uh, but, I mean, you know, Lex and Tim, uh, they're, they're, I guess in the end of the day, what are you going to do with them again? Get them chased by dinosaurs again? Why are they going to go back to the island? Um, as much as Malcolm doesn't want to. Um, but, uh, we get a brief little thing with them and it's, it's one of those real awkward conversations. <laughs> like, Malcolm's just like, oh, what about this place, huh? It's very creepy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving him anything. <laughs> like, that's a bit of original Malcolm there, but yeah. like, Lex and Tim are just staring at him going, oh, you're not Grant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want them to be like, Alan hasn't returned our calls, Ian. Where is he? <laughs> it's like, Tim, he got a restraining order against you, remember? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, maybe it was the other way around. You weren't meant to be within 500 metres of him, remember? Um, but then uh, we, things aren't going very well at the Hammond household, and then for the first time we get to meet Peter Ludlow, the nephew 
of uh, Hammond. I'm just going to say it right now. I have a weird fandom for Ludlow. Yes, <laughs> we agree. I like him. Yeah, not just me. <laughs> because he's kind of like Gennaro in the first film. Like, okay, I understand he's the bad guy because he wants to take dinosaurs off the island. Can I just point out right now, does he really do anything wrong? No. He's like a person, like a business person, who's trying to get InGen's bottom line, like the money back up that Hammond is so clearly fucked over. So his idea is, hey, let's put dinosaurs on the mainland. How else did they get these dinosaurs? It's Lanubla. I'm sure they had to do a similar thing. Mm -hmm. So can we just point out right now, this is similar to, uh, we pointed out, Arnold Schwarzenegger in the sixth day, the villain of the movie. Uh, (laughs) Peter Ludlow, not the villain of The Lost World. He's a good guy, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to have probably at least a half a dozen points throughout the course of this movie pointing out how he not only isn't that bad of a guy, but that other characters are the villains of this movie. Yes. I'm looking at you, Nick Van Owen. Yes! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the man's a terrorist! <laughs> he is! You're that earthless bastard, aren't you? <laughs> he even has a reputation as a terrorist. He's just a man whore. He just wants to join places because there's women. Oh, Greenpeace, why'd you join there? That's noble. Ah, oh, the women. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait to start going, Nick. Um, but I, I just love this interaction between um, Malcolm and Lila. And it's like, it's actually really important too because it's kind of, it's the conversation kind of clearing up a lot of things after Jurassic Park. So, you know, everyone signed non disclosure agreements. They're not meant to talk about what happened of it. And Malcolm's obviously said, fuck you, I'm going to the media. I'm telling everyone what happened. Mm-hmm. And they've obviously made Malcolm out to be like a fool and made him crazy. Uh, he's accusing him of taking money, and he's like, look, I, I didn't take a cent. I wanted to tell the truth. You covered it up. He's lost his tenure at his university. So it's kind of like a real brief little like interaction between the two of them, but it's like it's it's important to kind of, you know, clear up a few things between the, the first and second movie. And again, in the book, um, you know, I, I think the opening scene is in the, in the book is Matt talking at a university from memory. Um, so, you know, it's it's, yeah, again, it's been a long time since I've read the book. But uh, I do love the line when Malcolm grabs him and it's like, careful, this suit costs more than your education. Like, it's he says, suit. Like, I want to say suit like that. I love him. Arliss Howard, has he, what's, what's he gone on to be in? I don't know if I've ever seen Arliss Howard in uh, anything else besides He played Johnny world. Castle in Dirty Dancing 3's two-minute film. <laughs> Of course he did. Um, he went on to be in such esteemed movies as A Map of the World. Uh, you Know My Name. Was that based on the Chris Cornell song? Uh, Dandelion. Ooh. Oh, he's in a movie called Birth where he played Bob. Moneyball? Uh, That's a good movie. Uh, okay. It was in True Blood. Was he in True Blood? I watched True Blood. What was he in True Blood? There you go. I did not know that. <laughs> Clearly, I paid some attention to True Blood. I didn't even realize it was him. Uh, I haven't seen Moneyball, so I obviously need to fix that, don't I? Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, so then we get Malcolm talking with Hammond. Um, I do like the fact that Hammond is back. I, I always forget that he's kind of there, but, uh, you know, here he is. And we start off with the line, you know, you were right and I was wrong. You know, when did you ever think I was going to say that? Um, and then we learn about Site B. We learn about that this was the factory floor for uh, the dinosaurs that then shipped them off to Isla Nublar. Uh, hurricane destroyed Site B, so now it's just all the dinosaurs are thriving. We look 
about the lysine um, dependent sort of the thing we talked about in the first uh, episode where basically somehow they're thriving uh, even though they're not meant to because they're meant to be supplied with this and somehow they keep going on about it. And um, a little girl, we hear that she's fine. Oh, good old Kathy's fine. We're going to sleep well tonight. And they need to send a team to document these animals in its uh, their natural habitat. They've got a, a guy called Nick Van Owen, uh, Eddie Carr, and uh, also we have a paleontologist who's been sent there. And as you can probably hear in the background, we've just got a bit of a, um, a, a lawnmower going on in the background. Uh, Mallory, my beautiful, lovely girlfriend, would you be able to shut the window? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know what's you know what's Real really funny? Happening. Like I listen to podcasts, and I always imagine, even though if I know it's not the case, I imagine them in a studio somewhere. There are people who probably have assumed that about us for years. And here, you've got a lawnmower <laughs> really? in the background of yours. People are aware that my fridge is approximately ten feet from my microphone right now. Like we've totally spoiled the illusion of this being a professional podcast. Sorry, everyone. If you honestly listen to us and think we're a professional podcast, and you're idiots. Like seriously. <laughs> um, but. Uh, <laughs> Never, never thought that. But um, anyway, so this team has to go to Site B. Hammond's trying to get uh, Malcolm to go as well. But then we find out that the paleontologist who's already there is... Da, 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 plot twist! Malcolm's <laughs> girlfriend, Julianne Moore. I'm Sarah Harding. Now, okay, this is now a rescue mission, as Malcolm says, uh, and it's leaving right now. And I do like how Hammond does his little counting with his fingers as he kind of <laughs> goes off and has that little smile. Now, before I pick over like a few little plot things in this, this is, I don't know if this is just maybe me being completely dumb, me not being able to remember the book that much, or I don't know if you even knew this. Did we know that our beloved Doc Harding from the first movie, <laughs> they based a video game on him, is actually Tara Harding's dad? Did you know that? What? Is that in the book? That is canon. That is canon. In the book, it is mentioned that she is Dr. Harding's son, uh, daughter, and then reading through all, like, the canon literature and everything, it's confirmed that even, like, it's never mentioned in this movie, oh, but Sarah on. Harding is the daughter of Dr. Harding from the first movie. No! I refuse to accept that. Fake canon. Not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's the legend series of Disney says after this. <laughs> um, but I was reading about this. Is like I was thinking that you knew this, and you're gonna be like, "Oh, Ben, everyone knows that." No, but like, how was that never clicked? Her name is mentioned so many times as Sarah Harding. That'd be like if they're like, "Oh, Sarah Grant." Oh, I wonder if she's from. No, that's not true. <laughs> um, but uh, there you go. Um, but the other thing, like the plot bits, the plot holes here. When he, Hammonds is mentioning that, oh, this is the factory floor. It's where we made the dinosaurs and then we shipped them off to, you know, the park. We did see a dinosaur getting born at Jurassic Park, right? And then we also heard Hammond saying, I've been present for every birth of every dinosaur on this island. So Hammond's a bit of a world traveler. 87 <laughs> miles, isn't it, northwest of Isla Nublar, like going between the two. Uh, it's just one of these little tiny ones, which I guess kind of doesn't make sense in the grand scheme of things. But, uh, you know, we know in the first movie they don't know that this second one's going to exist. So just a few little things there. But I, I do like this setup where, you know, they're, they're getting there and this is how Malcolm's going to get back to the island. And I, I do just kind of like Malcolm's reactions here because, you know, this is how he's going to react. He's, we find out later on he's scared. He doesn't want to go to this island, but the only way he's going to go back there is basically because Hammond's kidnapped uh, the esteemed Dr. Harding's daughter and shoved her on an island filled with dinosaurs. 
Uh, well, to give a little bit of defense, not that I should be the one defending this movie. Um, I thought it would be the other way around. But uh, I think the idea that he could have been at Site B for all these other births, let's remember, this is the 70-year-old man that the lawyer expected to find in the amber mines uh, in in the first movie. So he obviously does you know, make his rounds. Uh, also, I think there was a part in the book, like I can't remember because it's been a while for me too, but I'm pretty sure there's a part in the book that talks about that that you know whole lab set up there with Dr. Wu and everything literally was just for show. Like they, they made sure that there was one to hatch for them and everything. Um, it seems like it's a pretty elaborate thing to do with a lot of scientists there. But what I actually noticed in watching the movie this time, because I tried to connect the dots of the first one to this. And I remember that very opening scene of the first movie is them transporting a raptor. So... I feel like I can watch this movie thinking they just took that from Isla Sorna and they've just delivered the raptor there to Isla Nublar, that opening scene in the original Jurassic Park. So I think you can you can sort of connect these two. Uh, it is a plot. I mean, let's be honest. Michael Crichton really had no interest in writing a sequel. He just wanted to write something completely separate and then he found a way to morph it into a Jurassic Park sequel. Uh, but it is nice that they include things like the whole lysine thing, which, again, that's kind of just a nod to people who read the book because it played no part in the first movie other than one throwaway line. And it actually does play a big part in this as well. Um, just one other uh, thing to note here. I didn't realize it was because I was wondering who this butler guy is. This guy actually does the voice of Emperor Palpatine in the Clone <laughs> Wars TV show. So... Uh, we covered the Clone Wars movie a couple of months ago, the animated movie. This is the Emperor. So, um, you know, he's had two very <laughs> famous roles. Striking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I like uh, the stuff on the train, too. And I think that was one of the things that when I saw this, it, it's interesting that having done it backwards, in, in some ways, I, I'm not going to say I have a better recollection of The Lost World as a book. I definitely have a better recollection of the Jurassic Park book, but because I read the book before the movie, there's a lot of things that I remember when I saw the movie, thinking back, oh yeah, I remember this from a book, I don't remember this from a book, and I was constantly picking apart when I was sitting there in the theater on opening night, this is different from the book, this is you know the same, and I like that they included that thing about you know this whole public trial, it's sort of condensed, like almost everything that happens until they get on the island here is about 200 pages in the book and they condense it into about mm -hmm. 15 minutes of the movie and it's all sort of done this one scene with the guy making fun of him on the train i don't remember in the book it being as big of a deal that like everybody thought he was this crazy guy uh it probably would have been more likely that just it didn't get as much media attention because like let's be honest if this happened it wouldn't be somebody there you know, on, uh, you know, CNN being interviewed or 2020, this would have been something that would still end up in the tabloids because who's going to actually publish yeah. it? Uh, but yeah, you just see that he's kind of made fun of it. And then I mentioned in the first one, one of the things that I really picked up on was the little relationships that certain characters have that they do such a good job. And it's the same thing here. There's a completely different dynamic that like Nick and Ian have than Eddie and Ian have. I know we're going to get to those in a second, but it's the same thing here with Ludlow, that that Ian and Ludlow just have a certain type of like this, they butt heads in a way where it's not even about Ludlow being a villain or uh, them being of completely different 
ideals in this movie, you just get that these two guys have never gotten along, and they don't have to throw this exposition out there. I just love the way that they interact in every single scene. There's scenes where it's funny, like later on when they're in the rain uh, after the first T-Rex attack, and there's scenes here where, yeah, there's funny lines, but it actually is really tense, and I'm completely with you. Ludlow is the... I, you could you could basically say the only good villain in a Jurassic Park movie because we mentioned how Nedry was more or less just a goofy henchman. You know, Dodgson would have been the villain, and Dodgson mm-hmm. was kind of the villain. He was the Ludlow character. This Dodgson character from the first one was back in the novel, and that's sort of what Ludlow replaces here. We don't get a villain in the third one, and the fourth one has a terrible villain, as far as I'm concerned. Vincent D'Onofrio is complete waste in that, but. Ludlow steals this movie. I mean, him and Pete Postlewaite are the most exciting things in this entire movie. And it's not that there's a lot of character there for either of them. Um, I'm also glad you were, we'll get to uh, Pete Postlewaite later on. But are you familiar with the deleted scene, which if you watch this on TV, has always been included in the TV edit, where they introduce Roland, I think, before they get to this scene here? And they introduce Ludlow in a yeah, different scene? Yeah, because there's more of AJ, isn't there? They're like... Mm-hmm. Oh, is it with Ludlow? Because they're like in some tropical country or something, aren't they? I have seen it. Yeah. Well, like the first scene, the way that this plays in the TV edit, and again, this is something that gets lost you know, now in this generation, but back during the 90s, we mentioned what a big deal it was when Jurassic Park first played on TV and you know, millions of people watching that. It was still a big deal by the time you got to 1999 or 2000, whenever this aired on TV for the first time, that it was pretty typical that you would include a few deleted scenes in the tv edit to kind of bring viewers in and so all tv edits of this actually will mm-hmm. have that opening scene um and then you see a scene where they introduce ludlow in a board meeting where he talks about site b and then they introduce the mm. scene i can't remember if it was before yeah. or after this one with roland and aj like he said and yeah they're like it's basically like the same environment from the the nedry introduction the first one and there's a really awkward moment where ludlow punches a guy in the face for no reason which <laughs> i just that's a ludlow thing to do or yeah. not ludlow uh, yeah. roland yeah L- roland thing to do ludlow's not punching anybody let's be honest um no. yeah he's the one people want to punch <laughs> exactly <laughs> But yeah, Tim and Lex in there, I mean, it's one of these things that doesn't sit as well now because in 1997, this was sort of the standard thing. You include as many elements in a sequel as you can if you can only get one or two characters back. I mean, it's the same thing with Jaws. There are characters in Jaws 2 that had zero significance in the first one, but it's like, well, we know you can't get these people back, get somebody in there. This isn't something you would ever have to do nowadays. You could do it without Lex and Tim, but... They probably thought they had to do it at this point. Um, and I love the scene with Hammond. Uh, one of my favorite lines in the entire series is, and it perfectly sums up, I guess, the difference with Hammond, where uh, Malcolm says, so you went from uh, capitalist and naturalist in just four years. <laughs> that kind of sets <laughs> the stage for this entire movie and what this movie's about. And it also brings about probably one of the biggest plot holes in this movie is that Hammond is his his team. They're not exactly in the right with what they're doing here once they get on the island, which we'll get to Mm -hmm. later on. But the way he wants to set it up makes sense. You know, I just want to do this. But Hammond's still like a total puppet master here. The way that he... He's giving, oh, we've got this guy, Eddie Carr, we've got Nick Van Owen, and we've got our paleontologist, and then I was hoping you'd be the next one. And then later on, it's like, uh, she came to me first. Like, 
he's totally setting him up here. And even the way that Ian leaves there, he's like, you just put all these people's lives in jeopardy. I'm going to get my girlfriend. And Hammond has this smile, which I talked in the first movie about how you could easily frame Hammond as a villain character without changing one line of dialogue. And it's only Richard Attenborough's performance that makes him likable. And even in the second movie, it's the same thing here. Like, that's a really sleazy thing to do. So it's amazing that he can even, in a cameo appearance, still bring that with the character where you you don't see him as a villain when he's he's doing villainous things here um only other thing to really mention before yeah we get into... and then he's with nick and he's saying to nick too yeah. isn't he, like later on like he's got planned so it's kind of like he's just he's shitty that he's lost yeah. control of engine so he's like just getting back at the company that he started we really need to 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 do our own if somebody else wants to do it, we need to do our own recut trailers for jurassic parts one and two at least to make it like Hammond is Palpatine himself. Like, this is the emperor of the Jurassic Park franchise. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's that person who does do those uh, edits on YouTube. He, he Like, he's made Dumb and Dumber into a Oscar award-winning film and, like, uh, yeah. he made Mrs. Doubtfire into, you know, a, 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 a murderous movie. thriller or something like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just so funny to, like, pick apart this because, you know, here we are defending old Ludlow who's just going along there to save this, you know, multi-billion dollar national company who could, you know, create this great park thing. And yet here at the end of the day, he's poor old Bitter Hammond um, that, you know, hired the wrong computer technician. It's your own fault, Hammond. And um, let's not add to the this. fact... He's basically bedridden. I mean, this man is on the verge yes. of death, and he's struggling to hold on to his company. I mean, would anybody except Bill Gates in this condition saying, no, you know what? I run Microsoft. <laughs> nephew Gates? <laughs> he's like nephew Gates is like the greatest computer invention in the history of mankind, and he's old Bill Gates, sour grapes in bed. No, I'm going to send someone <laughs> to put a back door into it to destroy it so the world can never see this great thing that people would love. Uh, <laughs> You're that Windows first fellow. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just, it's so interesting. Like we talked about last week and you just brought it up there with Dodgson, like how much of a character he is in the books. Mm. Poor old, who, who was that guy in the hat who played Dodgson in that like tiny little San Jose <laughs> cat? He's probably like read the second book. He's probably the biggest Jurassic Park fan. He's got the sequel, like Lost Boys. Oh, I'm getting brought back in the sequel. I'm like the main villain. And Only like, two characters. Phone call. They're like, it's Ian Malcolm and me. <laughs> I'm in. Yes. It's like, where, where's the phone call? Where's people calling me? Who's this guy? Uh, Alice Howard has been cast as Peter Ludlow. <laughs> They're like, no, we're getting the guy from Dandelion to be play the villain. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> we then go to uh, the warehouse where they're putting together all the equipment. Now you got to say, like, all this equipment is cool. Like oh, what yeah. they put together for them to go out on the island. I've seen the trailer. I think one of the Universal backlot tour many years ago. That's like it's along the road. Like you go past all these famous car vehicles, and uh, I believe this trailer was was part of it. But this big setup of all the things they're taking to the island with them. Uh, I think this sets it apart from the first movie that, you know, I mentioned how I always wanted one of those, um, the Jurassic Park cars from the first movie, the ones that go on the, the rails. Like, you know, each movie kind of has its own sort of unique vehicle. Well, the first two at least do. Uh, the third one has a parasail. Oh. Uh, the fourth one has a 
ball thing, a boat, boat. yes. The fourth one has those ball things with Jimmy Fallon in them. So, I mean, that's <laughs> cool. Um, and the monorail, I guess. <laughs> monorail, monorail, monorail. <laughs> Mono. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> um, but we meet Eddie Carr, uh, a.k.a. Uh, what's his name from the West Wing? <laughs> Richard Chief? I could never say his name. I what was he true. in that we watched recently? Uh, I was wondering about that. Was he... Oh, Man of Steel. Yeah. I mean, Man of Steel. Of course he was. We like Geostorm, too. Um, But yeah, this is. Don't talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, shut up, Colin. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was was a rubbish movie. Um, But here he is. I I like Eddie. Everyone likes Eddie. Um, (laughs) Poor old Eddie. Out of all the Jurassic Park characters that are needlessly killed, spoiler alert if you haven't watched this film yet, like he's he's the goodest guy, or maybe him and uh, Muldoon, perhaps. So like the the two that are killed off for no reason, otherwise you got to kill some good guys. I guess what's his name, the Indian uh, rich guy who takes over from Hammond in the oh. fourth one, sort of. Uh, but I mean, yeah. he's the idiot who reckons he's the only pilot on the island, so it's your own <laughs> fault, mate. Uh, like Bill Gates isn't flying himself in a helicopter. Oh, I'll, I'll do this. Like, no, you don't, Bill. You've got a team to do this. If British Branson Yacht is... Island crew had the whole Navy. <laughs> um, so we meet Eddie Carr. And then who do we meet? The esteemed Vince Vaughn, back when he was thin. Um, and Nick <laughs> Van Owen. Uh, first of all, can I just say, I like Vince Vaughn. I'm not trying to oh, be yeah. I actually do like Vince Vaughn. But um, it's, it's weird because, like, this is kind of like this period of time when Owen Wilson used to be in serious movies. Mm-hmm. So, like, there was a period of time when Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson were known for their dramatic roles. Um, so, who's a serious actor today? Like, I can't wait for Christoph Waltz to be known in 10 years' time as the king of bubbling comedies. <laughs> um, the dark days when he was known as a serious actor. <laughs> Christoph Waltz stars in Couples Retreat 2. <laughs> but anyway, here's, here he is, uh, Earth vs. Bastard Nick Van Owen. How, how do we rate Nick Van Owen in the, the grand scheme of Jurassic Park characters? I mean, if we've got a scale of Dr. Grant down to the kids from Jurassic World, where is he on that scale? Uh, I mean, I kind of... He's sort of in the middle. He's sort of like with Billy in Jurassic Park 3. Uh, you know, yeah. he's he's not like... I mean, he's obviously the attempt to be the Ian Malcolm or Alan Grant of this movie, but I, I remember loving Vince Vaughn in this movie not being as crazy about the Nick Van Owen character. I think that he, he brings a lot to the character, but the character itself is kind of bland. We, like, can we just point out, and again, I was trying to rack my brain. We watched something recently, and we just talked about how characters just... Dis- Appeared like where did they go? Mm-hmm. This is the same in the Lost World. Where does Nick Van Owen yeah. go? Let's get back to San Diego. See you, Nick. Going to go find some women. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> what was that that we did recently? And we just laughed that somebody just disappeared. Yeah, it was recent too. Um, what was our last month? Uh, Avengers. No, uh, before that. Didn't, um. Oh, it was a cool running one, wasn't it? Or no, it was um. No, it was one of the winter ones, wasn't it? I have no clue. <laughs> we'll remember by the end of this episode. You're on the, you're on the Oz Network. We remember all the episodes we do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, 
So, yeah, so we, we meet Nick Van Owen, he's in it for the women. Uh, and then we meet, ah, oh, the, the, uh, the apple of Ian Malcolm's eye, uh, his young daughter Kelly, uh, <laughs> which I, I, I like Kelly. I, like, I think she's maybe the third best child in all of Jurassic Park. Mm. Um, she has a moment. She has one terrible moment, of course. But um, I I don't know if there exists an explanation. Like I I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Obviously Kelly's African American, and we get that line later on of I'm not seeing any family resemblance here, which is kind of weird because you see Nick and Eddie see her right now, and yeah. yet they say that on the island like in 20 minutes time. Um, but it's I I I don't know how it's 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 interesting that they kind of went this way. Like hey, we need a I don't know a multicolored cast, so we've got to include someone. <laughs> And I, and I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Kelly is the only non-white character in Jurassic Park film franchise not to die. And maybe Wu. Wu's not dead yet. But, yeah. you know, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is about to happen. Is she? I'm trying to think of it because, like, there's, like, what? One black character in this film that we see get killed later on. Obviously, both of them died in Jurassic World, uh, Jurassic Park. The one in Jurassic World 3 gets killed. Jurassic Park 3. And then, um, Varani, the Indian guy, gets killed in the fourth one. Is there, is there any? non-white characters that survive in Jurassic Park? I mean, there's four, because, like, you could include Ajay in there, so... Oh. <laughs> four or well, five. Dies. Yeah, well, no, that's my point. You only have a handful oh. of characters. True. Hmm. Yes, we're just discovering that Michael Crichton was secretly a racist. <laughs> um... <laughs> But we meet Ke- we meet Kelly. She's excited. Dad, 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 dad. Uh, that sounds so <laughs> like Casper, too. That, that, that actually gave me like chills up my spine when I heard that. It's... You're welcome. I can now do a good impersonation of Casper. Um, <laughs> I'm a ghost. Um, but <laughs> too far, man. Uh, but we find out that uh, Malcolm's got to send her to go uh, be with a babysitter. I don't get why she's, he still let her come all the way down here. Like, surely a phone yeah. call Ian would have sufficed. Like, hey, Kelly, sorry, uh, go stay with the babysitter. Okay, thanks, bye. Uh, <laughs> well, he had to tell her where to meet him, too. Hey, come yeah, to the exactly. secret facility that you're not supposed to see anything at, so I can tell you to go away and forget what you saw. So, it again, Malcolm's fault. Uh, Malcolm's not a very good dad. Uh, can we just point that out? Uh, which I think is kind of the point. But uh, I do love that line that she says. I've already mentioned it. I'm like, she doesn't even have Sega. She's such a troglodyte. <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> what is a troglodyte? Like, this say something like harsh, but good word use. <laughs> I mean, I was 10 in 1997. I'm not quite at that teenage sassy stage. Not that I ever was. But, like, what's a tra- Oh, my God, you're such a troglodyte. Like, I don't even know what that is. I do like this scene, though, when he's, like, talking to her. And you've got Eddie over the speaker. Dr. Malcolm downstairs, please. <laughs> like, five minutes later. Dr. Malcolm downstairs, please. <laughs> Dr. Malcolm downstairs, please. <laughs> in the background and um yeah I, I i he kind of digs himself a hole there Ian, when he says like oh you want some good advice you know don't listen to me well that's your own fault then why your daughter follows you to jurassic park uh, i do like that you mentioned the interactions 
that each of the characters have that are differently. I like Malcolm and Eddie, just the back and forth with the technology. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then uh, it's like, it's not this scene, isn't it, when he's like, like violence and technology, not good bedfellows. That's like a little <laughs> bit later. <laughs> um, I like the bit when uh, Nick's like, oh, you know, yeah, I just wanted to go on a wild goose chase. And Malcolm's like, well, where you're going, the only place where the geese chase you. <laughs> Malcolm has some great lines in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we see Kelly kind of going on board the cool little truck things and see the map of uh, the islands, which I'm not going to try and pronounce. Um, and then next bit, we're uh, on the water. We're on the way to uh, Isla Sorna, and we get our first taste of the scene, which uh, the, scene, the, the theme, which is obviously fantastic, and I'll allow you to talk it up uh, very soon. Because, yeah, it's it's a great theme, that real sort of... It really makes you feel like you're travelling to a tropical island, if that makes sense. Like, it's a yeah. very uh, travelling sort of score. It's fantastic. Um, and we meet this great little father and son on a boat who don't want to get close. Well, I don't know why you're taking him in the first place. Um I like Nick Van Owen's... Uh, he's, we're just not going to call him Nick. He's just Nick Van Owen. He's a full yeah. name. Uh, I, I like when he's, like, talking to the captain, and he's, like, going on about, like, oh, you know, he says he can't get close. He calls his islands De Cinco Mortes. Yeah. De Cinco Mortes. <laughs> he says. I love how he's, like, he says, and this is guy like, oh, this guy here. Listen to him. What a loser. No, not to mention... <laughs> Not to mention when he's, he's getting very animated when the guy's like, and he's like, he will not go anywhere near these islands. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just point out, that why is he so shocked that it's called, like, the Cinco Mortes? Like, if yeah. you go back to the map, which Kelly is looking at, it says on the freaking map! <laughs> I know! <laughs> oh, that's what it means! Oh! Good on you, Nick Van Owen! There were no girls on the map, were there? So you didn't look at the map. Um... <laughs> But I like I like Eddie and Malcolm's interaction here too because Malcolm here like this is the thing I'll say about Malcolm's kind of like changing character because again in the first movie he's got a couple of like you know out there moments he's he's Doctor Malcolm but I you know there are a lot of moments with him in the first movie which is kind of like he is in this second movie and I also think that it's it's understandable that he would change because again as you was going back to your point with like Grant when he was like oh you know that was before I you know a dinosaur tried to eat me. He has kind of gone through the ringer in the last few years with, you know, people painting him out to be a crazy loop because he's saying he was attacked by dinosaurs and no one believes him. So here he is just, you know, never wanting to go back to this place. He's only trying to rescue Sarah. Doesn't know about Kelly yet. But I just kind of like he's kind of like no fucks given attitude here the way Eddie's explaining to him about this dart thing. And Malcolm's just looking off, yeah, is there an antidote? <laughs> it's just like he just doesn't care. And then way Eddie's like, what, if you shoot yourself in the foot? Oh, don't do that. You'll don't be dead before you even feel the foot. <laughs> I just love the way he says it. Uh, but I, I, just, I, I just see, I believe Malcolm's personality change in this film, just with everything that's happened. And again, I just feel you got a bit of that in the first movie. So to me, it's not much of an issue to me personally. And I'm not just saying that as a Jeff Goldblum fan. I just I think it is believable. Again, take him out of this movie, nothing changes. But uh, I can see why he's a bit of a, you know, a different person in this film. Uh, I'll just lump in the uh, introduction here of the Stegosauruses and Sarah um, walking along. They're trying to find her. We've got the satellite phone picking up the uh, the images of her there. And then uh, we get our first taste of big dinosaurs in this film. The Stegosauruses, we didn't get to see them, of course, in the first film. And it's kind of, it's a cool little introduction. Uh, I do like the line though with Malcolm when they're like Nick and Eddie are all like wow wow and like, ooh ah that's how it starts but later there's running and screaming <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Such a perfect line. Um, but then I like how Nick's taking the pictures and then Sarah's just there. I, I weirdly, like, I've always kind of been indifferent on Sarah, but I, I kind of thinking that I'm really liking her. I think maybe she is outside of Ellie, the best female character we've ever had in Jurassic Park. I just kind of like the bit she's standing there and, like, Nick's taking a photo. She just turns. She should be scared shitless. Like, oh, my God, there's another person. But she just casually turns. Hey, Nick! Yeah. <laughs> Scares the absolute shit out of him. Um, and then we kind of get the introduction. Uh, well, the introduction, the the first pairing here of Serenity and the lucky pack that will play a little bit. Sarah's excited that she sees a Nikon. Um, we call them Nikons in Australia, so I just always like Nikon. Um, and I love how, like, Sarah's, like, talking about, uh, you know, I worked out how the dinosaurs survived without life scene, and Malcolm's just like, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> she runs after the stegosaurus. So it's a cute little scene with her interacting with a little baby stego before the camera winds and scares it, and all these dinosaurs come and attack her, and the great line again by Ian, when it's like, they're just protecting a baby, so am I! Mm-hmm. And then Sarah survives getting, like, um, ripped to shreds by a Stegosaurus uh, tail. Uh, so, yes, uh, a bit to go through there. Uh, the trailers is the first thing I want to talk about because that was one of the things that made the biggest impression on me in the book. And there's a lot more in there. And I'd rather not talk about the children that are in the book, but we kind of have to mention them too. Yeah. Uh, because, <laughs> oh, like, as bad as – and I'm not really – on board with you. I think that Kelly's one of the worst children they've had Aww, in this series. Boo. <laughs> um, there's but... like five kids. To... Hang on. There's what? Two, three, four. There's six children to go through, She's right? She's in the bottom you're, half. You're no doubt going to rank. Okay, well, you're going to rank Eric above Kelly. Fair enough. But you cannot yes. rank the two kids in Jurassic World ahead of Kelly. <sighs> we'll wait until we no, rewatch it. No, there's no purpose in the storyline. <laughs> What purpose does she have? Like, the whole idea is that she shows up here, right? And then that, that gives you some extra... Like, think about the way that Lex and Tim were used in the first movie. They were part of the action. So the dinosaurs are after them. That's the tension the audience feels. She shows up there. Dinosaurs never get anywhere near her except for the one scene in the barn, which leads to the worst moment in Jurassic Park series history, which we won't talk about till we get there because I'll let my rage build. You talk about how Malcolm doesn't belong in this story. Once she's there, she's either hiding from the dinosaurs in the high hide, or she's you know completely removed from them, like as in a completely different location. We don't even get her in the climax of the movie. She serves no purpose in here. But having said that, the children in the original book were so bad, and not only were they bad, it's just it was what. I agree. I agree. Sorry. I completely agree. Oh, I thought agree. you said they were both gay. I'm like, well, that's a little hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> but, like, the idea in the book was that the, he volunteered at a junior high or something like that. He was a science teacher. And these were, like, two junior high school kids that knew he was going on this expedition. And they hid in the trailer exactly the same as they did here. Which just, it, it, it just made even less sense than Kelly being there. Um so yeah she's improvement over the book but still terrible uh i do kind of like her introduction to the character like you said i like the troglodyte line the sega thing um she she falls into that whole obnoxious teenager category a little bit too early in this movie where you you're not liking her because you know uh 
a lot of things like later on where it's like you never keep your word like i don't want these sniveling children in movies oh you know uh my father neglected me or whatever like he's he he's saying he, you can't come on one trip or whatever and then you take oh I, I thought you were trying to send me a message or something i know that's later on but <laughs> just i don't know her character just tries too hard too um but still not yeah, the worst she's better than eric yeah, I don't think so at all, but... Um, Eric gives me the shades. <laughs> no, I like Eric a lot. Eric's probably one of my favorites, uh, at least in my top three. Oh, we'll we'll talk about that next week. Ooh. But anyways, the trailer thing, the, it was the same thing with the kids who snuck in the trailer. And I, I remember really loving that, and it was a little bit more descriptive because part of the book's actually told from the kid's point of view, which is maybe one of the reasons I didn't like it as much. Um, but these trailers just... When I saw them in the movie, it was probably the first moment in this movie where I was like immediately intrigued. Up until now, it was sort of like, okay, well, there's a throwaway line for about six chapters of the book, you know? And then this trailer showed up. I'm like, yes, they got the trailers! <laughs> because they're, just, they're such a cool idea. And I would put them up there as probably my favorite Jurassic Park vehicle that we've had. Um, even though they don't really yeah. do anything here. Um, you know... I guess they fall off a cliff. That's pretty much it. But there's a lot of cool gadgets in there and everything. Um, the idea that uh, Malcolm is following Sarah there, this is kind of splitting other stuff from the book too because I, I don't even know if you remember well enough, but Sarah's character has basically been uh, combined with another character here because in the book there was a character who was like Ian Malcolm's partner, I guess, like his... I don't yeah, Levine. Yeah, he was like his his lab part. What would you call him? Like his science buddy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they, I thought he science. was. Yeah, wasn't he more of like a? No, I, I thought he was more of like somebody who was like he was sitting in a lecture of Ian and he was like questioning him more. I don't think he was actually associated with him. Was he? He was more of a person who like was questioning him and believed him. And it he might have been. Really, like he shit out of Ian. Like, I thought yeah. that was what he was more of. It might, but either way, Ian followed him there because he found out this guy went ahead of the team. Uh, and then Sarah's character was kind of the opposite, where in the book, I don't even think they have a love story, but it's like their characters do have a history. They, you know, they were a couple at some point in the past, and she follows Malcolm there, and she's kind of part of what, when this would have been the InGen team. So there's a lot of stuff really mm -hmm. mixed up here. Uh, all things considered, I think they actually probably did a better job with Sarah's character than either of the characters in the book that they've sort of combined here, Levine and Sarah. Uh, and a lot of that could be Julianne Moore. And I'm not, by any means, this is not like Julianne Moore gives an amazing performance in this movie. Uh, you know, she does well with what she has, but it's, it's an example kind of like with Richard Attenborough where you could just, you can do so much just by having a really good actor in there. And we talked about how, you know, everybody in the first movie was able to pull that off she's kind of the perfect example of that um same with the other guys too like eddie eddie's like richard Schiff's amazing in this movie and the character has so little to do and so amazing is this man that when i showed these movies to my nephews um one of my nephews uh he's i'm trying to think how old he is now i think he's like nah. 10 uh, now or something. But at the time we watched this, uh, he probably would have been 6 or 7, let's say. And he's obsessed with dinosaurs. I mean, he is like Tim or Eric in these movies. He is the dinosaur kid. For his birthday, I took him to a dinosaur lecture from an archaeologist who came to basically give a presentation on Spinosauruses. 
And he was glued as as like an at this time eight year old kid. He was glued to it, and he went back and met the guy afterwards and got his picture taken with him. <laughs> like he is that kid. And when he watched this movie, he was like, "I'm really sad." I'm like, "What?" It's like that Eddie died. Like that was what really crushed him. <laughs> Eddie was his favorite character in any of these Aww. movies. And I asked him like after watching all of them, like, "Who's your favorite Jurassic Park character?" He goes, "Eddie." I'm like, really, Eddie? <laughs> but I'm like, I kind of, I kind of agree. It's just weird that a kid would love Eddie that much when he plays the video game, the the Lego video game. I'm sure he plays as Eddie as much as he can. Oh, that's a good game. Can we just mention that that oh, is a good game? It. Yeah, probably my favorite Lego game, or at least up there with maybe like Indiana Jones. Um, but the best of like the newer Lego games too. Uh, but but yeah, like Eddie's character, the rapport he has. It's the same with like Ian and Ludlow. It's just it's a completely different dynamic, and every time they're talking to each other, it's a different. They have a different personality, and uh, like some of the comments he has later on about the the satellite phone is like, you need to love it. It'll work <laughs> when you love it. I think is what he says. Uh, it's so good, and like like even when he's calling him on the intercom too. Uh, Nick's character, as I said, Nick's character. There's an interesting idea there with this whole Greenpeace guy in it for the women. Then you find out he's this professional saboteur or whatever. They don't really go anywhere with him. You, you mentioned who is the character that just dropped out of the movie, Daniel Craig and Tomb Raider. Uh, Nick <laughs> yeah, kind of is that. Is. Yeah. Uh, but even at the point where they reveal who he is in this movie, what else do they do with him? He takes some bullets out of a gun at the end of the movie, and then he's gone. Even for the second half of this movie, he's just sort of there. But Vince Vaughn, especially like unknown at the time, when this came out, the only movie he'd made was Swingers, which was like a small, not I'm going to say small, it made a lot of money for an independent movie, but it was like this independent cult movie. So like Mm -hmm. this was unknown Vince Vaughn coming in here, and he has all the movie star charisma and everything, and I don't think we've ever seen him really in an action movie since then, but he suits this. And it is kind of funny that you mentioned, like, you know, if Christoph Waltz were to eventually, you know, do like Wedding Crashers 3 or something like that, <laughs> it just wouldn't suit him or whatever. But that, that would have been Vince Vaughn at the time. Um, what else do we have in the scene? Yeah, I like the, the Las Cinco Mortes. <laughs> Excited he gets with that. Uh, you know, the the tranquilizer like all this stuff. There's some bad exposition in this movie. Like a lot of stuff in the Hammond scene is bad exposition. Uh, but a lot of this stuff here, like with the dart and how quickly it would knock you out and everything, and uh, the, the the boat captain not wanting to come back and all that. This is all good stuff here too. Um, the Stegosaurus, kind of a fun story with that. Um, is Steven Spielberg had said that when they made the first movie. They got so much fan mail, but the number one thing that would that almost every single letter from any kid would ever say is, "How come you didn't put a Stegosaurus in this movie?" So there's even a behind-the-scenes clip I was watching on the the documentaries on the Blu-ray where they're going over the design for the Stegosaurus, and he says, "This is in by popular demand because no child would have forgiven me if I made another movie without a Stegosaurus." <laughs> Stegosaurus doesn't really do much in this movie. Um, but doesn't really do much in any of the movies, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, what can you do with a Stegosaurus? I mean, for what it is, I, I kind of mentioned the plot hole. I still do believe it's a plot hole where they say like, oh, this park could never work or whatever. It's like, well, if you just brought the herbivores, 
it would work. <laughs> this is sort of an example. It's like you'd still have danger, but it's no different than having an elephant or a rhinoceros at a zoo, which people have all over the place, I guess. Well, can I just point out, too, that um, this was the start of the hashtag MeToo uh, campaign because um, <laughs> Sarah unwittingly touches the, uh, the stegosaurus without its permission and it roars. So ah, yes. <laughs> yeah, just wanted to point that out. Uh, and there's even more of that later on that we're going to get with the, the baby T-Rex and all that. So And the line from Malcolm, Malcolm foreshadowed it. She, she can't just look and touch. She just has to touch it. She has yeah. to reach out and touch it. Like, Do you know, if only Kevin Spacey had to watch this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they do explain away the whole lysine thing here with uh, old yeah. uh, herbivores are eating lysine-rich foods. The carnivores eat the herbivores. Uh, I, I like when um, they're ooing and awing, as you said, and uh, they're like, how is this possible? And Ian's like, what did you think you were going to see? He goes, animals, <laughs> maybe some big iguanas. <laughs> and he just sits there and he looks and goes, fruitcakes? <laughs> 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 that's a good line, but there's another one here. This is what I was talking about on the tone of a darker movie that a lot of the comedy doesn't fit. There's one line here which I only caught because I watched it on subtitles, and it's absolutely hilarious. But it doesn't fit the tone of the scene or anything when they're, you know, uh, it's basically the action scene when the the camera goes off, the Nikon goes off or whatever. And the Stegosaurus <laughs> rampage starts here. As soon as it happens and the camera's beeping and all of a sudden the dinosaurs are like, roar, roar, you, he, he mumbles his words. But if you read the subtitles, Ian says they get very angry when you run out of film. Like, it's a really funny line, but it in no way fits this scene. And it's and I started to count. There's a lot of other times later on in this movie where I was trying to figure out what does bother me about Ian Malcolm in this movie. And it's when they throw these almost a little bit too scripted lines out there that might work in a funny scene or a funnier movie, but they don't work in this. But Do you think it's like I, I the jinx to... effect? Are you calling him like the jinx of this movie then? He needs yeah. A Exactly, yeah. Like, your girlfriend's about to die, and he's like, they get very angry when you run out of film. And the way he said, like, it's his delivery that's off, too, because you can deliver that line funny, but I just wonder why that line's even in there, because it's a funny line, but the way he delivers it is like he's frantic. It just it doesn't fit the movie at all. I see it. Yeah, I mean, he's... I think, I think it's the honest trailer points it out, and I think it's very obvious, is that he really does only exist to have the trailer lines because every yeah. single like I've seen the trailer of this movie so many times that I know when the trailers are the lines yeah. are you know the, the ooh, mommy's very angry and, yeah taking the worst dinosaurs of this island is the worst idea in the history of yeah. that you know all little things like that there's just so many trailer lines that Ian says um, but yeah I've never I've never noticed that line before um, I have to watch with the subtitles on I'm reading here that Julia Roberts was considered for the role of Sarah Harding that would have oh, been interesting that would have been awful was that, but did you say that would have been awful or good Awful. Oh. You're not a Julia Roberts fan? <laughs> I mean, Julia Roberts is okay in the right thing, but do you see her as a brainy scientist? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> not in 1997, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe in 2017, but uh, 18, what year are we? But um, the one thing, too, which the book really differs, which, I mean, I guess it's similar, but uh, obviously this is about people taking dinosaurs off the island. But in the book, I believe, wasn't it they were taking the eggs off the island? That was kind of – because that was Dodgson, right? Like the rival mm. to InGen 
because they didn't get the embryos from Nedry. They were, this time around, it was getting the eggs. So I kind of think, again, when we talk about Jurassic Park 3, which really just uses a whole bunch of elements from the first two books, um, that's one of them when it comes to the taking the eggs off the island. So, um, yeah, that's, which I think would have worked. I mean, again, we're, we're kind of establishing here with Ludlow that they're not really bad. Yeah. (laughs) Just towing the company line here. Um, and if, if you judge them for being evil, then surely the first movie in general evil in the first movie. <laughs> so it's kind of like you can't have your both ways, movie fans. Ludlow's mm. not evil, all right? Um, we get them walking through the jungle here now. I like uh, Nick here when he's, like, talking about the Pulitzer. Like, oh, give me the award right now. I want them to do, like, a, you know, Jurassic Park 2.5 and have it... Nick Van Owen accepting the Pulitzer Prize <laughs> <laughs> for taking <laughs> that comic like... from last week. It's a Unix system. I know this <laughs> clever girl. <laughs> I yeah, it's love like that the, comic. <laughs> you know the Marvel one-shots, the little short films, like they made the Agent Carter one, they went with Coulson at the gas yeah. station. They got to do that yeah. for Jurassic Park. Like, we need to yeah. see... You know, you know, We basically have them, like... Uh, um, what's his name? Um, Roland just punching men in the face for no reason. Uh, yep. Nick joining these charitable organizations to hit on women. There's lots of little short films you can make out of this. Uh, but we get the fight between Ian and, and Sarah. It's kind of that, I, I like the chemistry between Julianne Moore and Jeff Goldblum. I mean, they yeah. never. It's again similar to Jurassic Park when we talk about Ellie and Grant. That you know they're together, but it's not shoved down your throat. Mm-hmm. I think it's similar here. They're together, but whenever do we get them kissing? You know, we yeah. get one line from Sarah where she says, I love you. But, like, I like that, the fact that there's a there's a romance in the film, but it's not shoved down your throat. Like, oh, look at them. The third one, we're going to get shoved down our throat. The fourth one, we're going to get shoved down our yeah. throat. And, like, it works in kind of the fourth one, but you also kind of question why does Bryce Dallas, Texas – end up with <laughs> Chris Pratt when they don't really like each other. And, yeah. you know, yeah, you want Leone and William H. Macy to get together because David Duchovny and Felicity Huffman were probably getting it off behind the camera as well. <laughs> but it's... Um, <laughs> just the fact that they're famous partners as well. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of like that about these two, that they've you don't need it shoved down your throat. Like, you get the one bit, too, of, oh, I'm going to rescue my girlfriend. But, again, that's kind of it. And we get all these lines here from Sarah where she's saying, like, I need you to show up in a cab every now and then. Like, where were you last week rescuing me from your parents? Like, I like how that is setting up to it, and I think it's done really well. Uh, And this also is where we see Kelly snuck onto the island of the fire. (laughs) Kelly's just, like, burning down Isla Sauna. Um, I do like it when, like, Malcolm's going through the trailer here and he's like, this looks like your room. Clean it up! Yeah. Now. <laughs> <laughs> just, I always love the bit. That's a dad when, moment. Like, That's great. <laughs> uh, this, the, the bad fathering of Ian Malcolm when he's yeah. just like, you need to go wait outside. And then she just doesn't. She waits there and she's like, you know, Sarah does have... And he's like, it is really important to the future of you that you do not finish that <laughs> sentence. Go outside. <laughs> and she goes to go outside. Well, what are you doing? It's dangerous out there. Stay in here. <laughs> that's me I'm Ian Malcolm as a dad I'd be terrible I'd be telling the kids one minute to do something and then contradicting myself the next um, but yeah I just, I just love this whole it's, it really serves nothing more than kind of a, a bit of a background between Ian and Sarah but it's just it's fun the way these two work off each other 
Uh, and then we hear the helicopters and we see all these uh, giant helicopters carrying vehicles. It's InGen, the evil corporation, who are doing nothing more than to <laughs> save their company. <laughs> They've, uh, I do like Eddie's line. It says InGen on those choppers. I don't get it. Why would Why it have two Two teams! And his voice cracks. He's <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld now. What is the deal with having sending more choppers? It's like there's more than one! <laughs> um, and then we got this great chase sequence. It's not a chase sequence, but this great scene of like all the, the cars chasing down the dinosaurs and, um, you know, tying them up. And it's, it's such a great scene. Great special effects. You haven't really talked too much about special effects yet, but it really looks really great. We get to finally see some more dinosaurs. Pacquiao, 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 uh, the Pompadour, Elvis! <laughs> <laughs> um, the Pacquiao, the one with the, the dome skull. Pachycephalosaurus. <laughs> and he, we get introduced here, we get, it's a great, I love Ludlow in the film. It's like, yeah. this, this is a great place for base camp! Set us up right here! <laughs> and then he's like, let's find a new spot! And then when, <laughs> when Roland's like going off at him, and the way he's just like, okay! <laughs> <laughs> uh, we meet Roland here. Roland's fantastic. I, I I know you're a huge fan of him. I'm a huge. I think everyone's a fan of Roland. Um, yeah. You know, somebody we'd love to see back, but sadly we won't be able to, at least in this form, because sadly Pete Postlewaite is no longer with us. Um, but I do love the kind of like opening here when he's there and he's like just talking to Ludlow. And he's like, you know, I've been on too many of these exhibitions with rich people. And it's like, you know, I'm here to do one thing only. Hunt a T-Rex, a male, a buck. Why? That's for me to know. It's like, for me to know and you'd find out. <laughs> say that. <laughs> You're on a need-to-know basis, mister. Um, and I also, we get kind of a brief, brief introduction uh, to Dieter and, uh, was it Carter? I love yeah. Dieter and Carter. <laughs> yes. um, There's the buddy comedy. Underrated bromance in Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> I love Dieter. Dieter's just one of these random people that just such a blink and you miss a character in Jurassic Park franchise. But I love him. And Because he was in Armageddon like a year later, the guy who played him, wasn't he? I remember he was and, the Russian, the guy, yeah. the astronaut. And Fargo the um, year before this, too. Peter, Peter Stor- is it Stormare? Is that how you say it? Stormare, yeah. Um... But uh, I just, this whole sequence is great. And we meet uh, the paleontologist guy who's a complete caricature of some other paleontologist who rips shit into Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just love him. Uh, yeah, this whole sequence is great. And then we see uh, Ian and Nick and the crew uh, watching over uh, kind of, you know, with sad faces. And we have Nick Van Owen's weird camera with a satellite, which I don't get why he's putting... A, <sighs> is that a solar panel or something to charge his camera? Like, I don't understand what that is. But, uh, I, I was yeah, wondering if he was like beaming video back to Hammond or something and they just cut the scene out of the movie. I didn't understand it either. Live streaming on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, ladies, 80% of my friends are female. <laughs> Dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's 1997 Periscope or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Instagram living. Look at the dinos. <laughs> I need to read do this like modern technology <laughs> hold that dino there I need to get a boomerang of it flipping those people over it <laughs> you can talk now about this scene oh, if you wish okay. I wasn't sure if you cut out or something <laughs> end scene okay um, 
I don't know if you you caught it, everybody. Do you know the name of the the guy that you mentioned, the rival paleontologist that they basically just <laughs> dump on in this movie? Oh, uh, I had it. Uh, I had it here on my screen a second ago. Hang on a second. A caricature of real life paleontologist Robert Backer. Oh, I, I just meant you Which know I, the character's name. I believe name he's in mentioned this... in the first Jurassic Park, isn't he? He's the one that Tim is like, and I read this other book by Lenny and Backer. Oh, and yeah, that's that... right. That would be the same name. Um, yeah. In this one, though, I mean, the character's name is Burke. Now, tell me, at what point or how many times watching this did it take you to figure out, or have you at this point even figured out, that in the, the first scene we talk about here where Sarah and Ian are having their fight, where she's talking about, you know, um, this resistance to the idea of dinosaurs being nurturing parents, she mentions Burke and his theory. Oh, I've never picked Did you up even on that. realize you it? It took, me, it took me like a dozen times watching this movie to realize she's mentioning the other paleontologist is about to show up five minutes later in the movie and that these two actually have a professional rivalry that at no point is explored in this movie. Like there's clearly a, either a deleted scene somewhere or this was like a you know a poorly developed script. Because she sets it up at the beginning of the movie here. Oh, you get these idiots out there like Burke who say this. And then Burke shows up and they never even dress it. And even when they meet later on, they, they don't even acknowledge that these two characters have this professional rivalry. It's, it's a little detail that took me many times to watch this movie to pick up on. Which A, I think is a bit of a flaw in the movie. Because this, this should be a major plot point. And B, when hmm. it picks up on it, I kind of now now that I know that, I want to know more about it, and they don't go anywhere with it. Like, did you ever even pick up on that line? Never until you just mentioned that. Uh, that's no. yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy, and I agree with you. Like, the only bit we sort of get is when they have that thing coming up when he's like, "No, you're wrong, Doctor Harding. I believe yeah. T Rex will do this and blah 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 blah." Like, but even then, it's kind of that in no way I ever imply that. Oh, these two know each other. <laughs> like, so, yeah. And, that's, that's, and yeah, it's hard that for would have been good to call that. It's hard for me to pinpoint whether I find it more annoying that it wasn't done clearly enough that you pick up on the first place, or that they didn't go anywhere with it. But I think both are kind of mistakes in the movie. Um, but I, I like that idea too about a professional rivalry that could have gone somewhere because you know we have that even with uh, Alan Grant in the first one. It's something that's very tacked on to Sarah's character, and. One of the things that I really picked up on watching the movie this time that doesn't work about it are a lot of good ideas that aren't explored well. That Some of those, as I mentioned, I feel like they did a little bit of a better job sort of taking these ideas that didn't get explored well in this one and maybe following up on them in Jurassic Park 3 and doing a little bit better with it there. Uh, this one I don't even think needs to be there because it's just complete rehash of Alan Grant. Oh, I have this great theory and nobody thinks I'm right and I'm you know a complete joke in my line of work. I don't think this needs to be there, uh, but if it was going to be there, it would have been interesting to have the two people with different theories actually doing battle throughout this. Um, but the fight scene is great, uh, especially watching Ian fight with three people at once. Like This is why... Uh, Ian Malcolm or Jeff Goldblum as Ian Malcolm is so great because you take for granted the fact that he is having an argument with his daughter his girlfriend and Eddie all at the exact same time and it's literally back and forth he'll be like 
Kelly, why did you do this? And then Sarah's saying something like, Sarah, don't don't interfere in this. I'm going to talk to you later. And then Eddie's like, uh, hey, Ian, uh, stop trashing my cell phone, you know, or my, my satellite phone. You know, <laughs> you got to you gotta love it. You got to stroke it. You got to caress it, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> Jesus, Eddie gets it on with his technology. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I even like the, the line he puts, like, you know, it's not a landline. It's not it's not a phone booth. And, and then when um, Ian has the line where he's like, is there any reason to think that the phone in the trailer might work? He goes, uh, if you feel it all qualified, you might just want to flick the switch to on. They're <laughs> just so antagonizing each other. But it's not in like a jerkish way. It's just yeah, both of these first two movies, they do so well with like the uh, same thing with like Alan and Ian in the first movie. I like, but this argument between Sarah, particularly the one between Sarah and Ian is really good like you said and there's a lot of lines in there like uh about you know sometimes it needs you to show up in a cab and all that or when uh she's like you know uh i'm the the best type of girlfriend one that's never around you know <laughs> it's a sort of thing like you mentioned about how you know, their relationship is not crammed down your throats this is a, w- the way a couple is when they've been together for several years and they never see yes. each other you know they don't have to sit there kissing the first time they see them like you said you don't even realize that these two characters, they never kiss. They never have any affection whatsoever towards each other. They're just two characters who know each other. Um, and again, something they did a little bit better than they did in the book too. Uh, but the best part is when uh, Ian, obviously you could easily fall into the him being Brody in Jaws 2 where he's terrified of the shark, but it goes too far to the point where you're like, you know what, just man up already, Brody, you know? Um <laughs> But Ian actually makes logical sense of this movie. And like the where Sarah's saying, you know, oh, how about uh, when you abandon me for that dinner with your parents or whatever? And the way he just says to her is like, uh, this is a slightly different situation. <laughs> and then she'll be like, I'll be back in five or six days. No, you'll be back in five or six pieces. <laughs> yeah. he, he's funny, but like he's making good arguments at the same time. And then he brings humor and like when he's leaving, it's like, okay, I'm taking my daughter. I'm getting out of here. And again, it's a lot of this like talking back and forth in the background. And you have to really pay attention to get what he's saying where all of a sudden he's saying stuff like, uh, uh, do you have any personal effects you want me to get to your family? Uh, do you have a letter you'd like me to, he's like, a letter you want me to hand off to your wife? And it's just, everybody's <laughs> talking at once, but it's like, it's really funny. Uh, it doesn't seem out of place there. There's other ones that seem out of place. The engine helicopter's coming up in this hunt scene. Okay, now the hunt scene's great, and I love the music here. And this is, uh, you already mentioned, like, the main theme that we've had once. This whole score is like jungle music. And it works so well, and it makes the movie feel different from Jurassic Park. But it's, like, still exciting music. All the music in this movie just totally fits the location. And I think this is something that John Williams... I don't know whether he gets a lot of credit for it or doesn't get a lot of credit, but it's one of the things I always love about John Williams is that he can do music that is like cultural and ethnic. And even though it's this, you know, 80 year old white guy from Cincinnati or wherever he's from, you can accept (laughs) that he does this African theme music in Amistad. And it's not like, well, that's just some Americanized Africa or like Japanese traditional Japanese music in memoirs of a geisha he does island music here and it just feels like something out of Costa Rica and this hunt scene uh, is some of my favorite music in the movie uh, plus I think the sequence is just great too um, you know w- watching all the vehicles the, the the little seats that come out of the vehicle so they could grab uh, on the uh, dinosaurs uh, yes. is great 
Oh, it's so good. And and introducing all the characters, like not having that first scene with Roland, I think this is a better introduction because he just turns around. It's like, it's Pete Postlewaite. And he doesn't say, he goes on this giant monologue. Like you almost quoted every line there. It's just amazing. And this is one of the other points where I'm going to say Ludlow's not a bad guy. Yes, he's kind of stupid. Where he's like, this is a great place for base camp. It's like, you're, you're, we're setting up base camp, not a buffet. You know? And <laughs> uh, when Roland gives him this whole speech, he could very easily just be a complete dick about it. But instead he's like, okay. Like he's respectful to the expert he hired here. Now let's look at the second part. Which dinosaurs are they picking up here? Those two dinosaurs that we see them grab here. They grab a Parasaurolophus. That's the Elvis, the Pompadour, as they said. And then the Pachycephalosaurus, which is, uh, what's the line? I wrote it down here. Uh, fat head, uh, bald spots. Uh, uh, what do they call it here? Um, uh, fat head, bald spot, uh, something or other. All right. Uh, Friar Tuck. They keep calling it Friar Tuck. <laughs> uh, these are herbivores. So later, even in the other scenes, we see a Triceratops. We see the Stegosaurus or whatever. At no point do they grab carnivores. What Ludlow's plan is here is exactly what we said in the first movie would make total sense. <laughs> they're grabbing the non-dangerous animals that, yes, if they get loose, they're going to trample some stuff. But they're not eating anybody. They're not killing anybody. They're taking the safest plan here. And they're the villains yep. of the movie? Doesn't make any sense at yep. all. And mm-hmm. then, yeah. We're Dieter and Carter. Yeah. With this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dieter and Carter, a little bit different because, yeah, they're... The, the thing with the compi, uh, <laughs> where it's like, oh, it has no reason to fear man or whatever. Now it does. Okay, there are bad characters in here, but the plan from Ludlow is not bad. Roland wants to hunt one dinosaur... And that's it. And nobody else here is really a villain. They're just showing up to do stuff. And then you got Nick Van uh, Bin Laden or whatever. <laughs> got his uh, satellite Instagram thing going. And his hedge clippers or bolt cutters or whatever. And he's out there to cause all the chaos that we're about to see. It, totally changing this entire movie here. Just by looking at it from a logical point of view. Well, I'm just... Got to establish it. Nick Van Owen is the cause of all the bad shit in this film, all right? He yes! gets rid of all the dinosaurs that they've <laughs> captured, which destroys all the communication. He then gets the baby T-Rex to bring it back to the trailer. Yes! His fault, nearly killing them. And then later on, he removes the bullets from the gun of Roland. He could have just killed the T-Rex then and there. It never would have gone to San Diego. Yes! Uh, but Nick Van Owen <laughs> is the fault of everything bad in this movie. Half my notes are gone now. This episode is just going to speed along from this point forward. Ludlow is not the villain, people. Nick Van Owen is. He really is. Uh, And Hammond hired him, knowing he was going to do all this. He even said, you know, uh, guys, just so you know, uh, Hammond thought that this might happen, so he said a backup plan. What backup plan? Me. Then he goes, dun, dun, dun. (laughs) There's your villain on him. We need to have that. The one bit that I forgot to mention was the line that I love, like back when they um, are trying to find Sarah. They're like, Sarah! Sarah! Sarah Harding! How many Sarahs do you think are on this island? 
And then I'll I'll spoil it now because I know I'll forget otherwise. But you know when they're they're showing up later and they're looking for Nick at the visitor yes. center, that yes. Ian goes Nick Van Owen. <laughs> Which I always kind of thought, like, oh, you're a bit of a hypocrite, Malcolm. But at the same time, it's like, well, he now knows there's, like, 50 other people on the island now. So. Yeah. Um, I literally just searched for Lost World memes, right? Just hoping we'd get some great ones from last week. Pretty much none. But there's actually I know, one I tried here, looking earlier. You did too. Yeah, well, the one that actually yeah. that kind of makes sense. The scene that we're about to come up to when uh, we've got Roland saying, like, predators don't um, hunt when they're not hungry. Uh, yeah, only humans do. And then he's like, oh, you're breaking my heart. And then they've cut to a picture of Jurassic World 18 years later, and we see all the dead Brachiosaurus after the Indominus Rex has gone on its rampage. So, you know, um, I don't know. It's not really a plot twist. They genetically modified an Indominus Rex, so that's slightly different. But anyway, that's still a couple of weeks away. A um, slightly different situation, Ben. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Dr. Malcolm. Uh, we get a brief shot here of a footprint of the T-Rex. Um, and I do like the bit where uh, Ludlow comes like, where are you going? And he's like, click my fee, Mr. Ludlow, to click my fee. Um, and then we get yeah, that bit where you mentioned with um, Dieter and the cattle. But I love that. Like, it's such a dick. <laughs> oh, comfy. Are they dangerous? Oh, no, not really. They're meant to be scavengers. It's like he's not afraid of me. Oh, they've got no reason to fear man. Psst. Now they do. <laughs> <laughs> you know what makes that even more sinister? <laughs> what makes it even more sinister is that his full line is, look at it, it's creepy. It's like it's not even afraid of me. This man is so messed up in the head that he thinks if something doesn't fear him, it is creepy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like him. Oh, <laughs> the one that- Truly evil person. Um, we then have uh, Roland and RJ. Is it RJ? AJ. It said AJ here, but I don't it's RJ. Ah, yeah. like pronounced. Okay. Uh, so they find the Rex nest and they find the baby Rex. And then the next scene we see it tied up and they're hiding in a tree. Now, I remember this from the book. And also there is a deleted scene here, I believe, I think, too, isn't there? Where Because RJ is a much bigger character through deleted scenes. He's yeah. kind of got the raw end of the stick in the edit oh, yeah. <laughs> because it's kind of when it's it's always that scene at the end when we last see uh roland and he's like you know oh rj didn't make it uh you, i was always kind of used to watch that movie I'm like why do we give a shit who is who's rj i, I don't know who rj is but like in the actual <laughs> deleted scenes like he's in it so much more yeah so uh he really gets a bad end of the edit here harvey jason um but so this t-rex the baby t-rex that has been tied up it's uh, it's got its leg broken, which you know, again, we don't really see that until Nick steals the damn thing. <laughs> um, but a- another thing, kind of taken from the first novel, because uh, in the first book there is a whole thing about the baby Rex, and uh, the baby Rex actually eats. Um, we mentioned this last week. I've forgotten the character's name. He's not in the movie. The redheaded guy who basically is the Gennaro in the book, who leaves the kids in the car. Um, mm-hmm. he's the one who gets eaten by a baby Rex in the first book. Um, but then we've got, uh, Ludlow having a board meeting, uh, Instagram live video back with InGen, <laughs> um, showing off all the attractions this is where we get Nick, uh, you know, oh, did send a backup plan, me. Uh, I do like the line there when, uh, Ludlow's basically going on about like, San Diego's nude for its animal attractions, the San Diego Zoo, SeaWorld, San Diego Chargers, um, which obviously <laughs> don't exist anymore, they're now the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, and this ultimately leads to 
terrorist Nick undoing all the um, the cages and everything of the animals. We get our only Triceratops uh, bit in this entire film. Uh, finally not getting a sick one. Where's Dr. Harding here? <laughs> like, I'll be damned. It can stand up. <laughs> uh, so all the dinosaurs, all the herbivores attack. This is what your this is your herbivore movie attacking the camp, getting revenge for them being kidnapped. <laughs> I do like um, Roland and RJ in the tree getting like slammed by a uh, firing jeep, and then he goes <laughs> off at uh, Dieter. It's the last time I leave you in charge. <laughs> Uh, and he's stupid Nick Van Owen seeing a baby T-Rex. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll take it with me. This won't cause any issues. Freaking idiot. Uh, <laughs> did he actually get women on Greenpeace? <laughs> was this his well, way? He... he sees a sleeping woman and takes her back to his thing. Oh, it was just sleeping. I you thought know, I might as well bring her back to my cabin. <laughs> he he did, but it involved bolt cutters and broken legs. <laughs> That's why he's always got them on him. <laughs> like, just... Oh, 80% female dinosaurs. Uh... <laughs> um, I do. This is, is this where we also see Eddie setting up the high hide? Uh, yeah. <laughs> with like the car drives past. What the hell was that? Uh, I do love Malcolm and Kelly in the trailer. I love Malcolm on the radio when we get oh, yeah. to Enrique. It's like, oh, here we go. Enrique? <laughs> no, it's Ian Malcolm. <laughs> and this lady like, does not give up either. Like, it is five minutes of Enrique? Enrique? <laughs> Enrique is just like, no, no, wrong frequency. <laughs> Later on the radio, and he's like, no, the boat. Ian Malcolm. Oh, God damn it, you bastard. <laughs> and then Kelly's in the background trying to be all nice. Like, Kelly's like, hola, buenas estas. And then she's just like, oh, boy, is she mad at you? Yeah. <laughs> Who's Enrique? Where is he? Why does this woman want Enrique so much? Enrique? <laughs> Um, there's another one of our one and, shots Enrique <laughs> real story coming soon in part of the Jurassic Park cinematic <laughs> you mentioned on a radio you heard a woman very angry at his whereabouts <laughs> now nah, a true story behind Enrique <laughs> he left his wife for Greenpeace yeah. there's our story <laughs> It, it's it, it's the boy from Jurassic Park. That doesn't look very scary. <laughs> Whit Hertford is Enrique. <laughs> Whit Hertford is back, and now he has a name. <laughs> Enrique. <laughs> you thought he grew up to be Chris Pratt in Jurassic World. You were wrong. <laughs> Enrique? Enrique? <laughs> and Shut up, Enrique woman. You look like a six-foot turkey. girl who got his problem. Kelly Malcolm. <laughs> it's a love story. No one saw it coming. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Sarah and Nick bring back the baby Rex. And Nick gets away with her again, doesn't he? Because who does Malcolm blame Sarah? Oh, I know. Sarah should be like, it wasn't me, it was Nick. She's even like, are you crazy? Do you know what that is? Yeah. Uh, then now all of a sudden she's taking the credit for it. Uh, 
the one thing I always like don't get like they've got this X-ray machine in the thing. She's like moving that X-ray so fast over the lens. <laughs> you look at the actual X-ray footage. It's so slow. She's like, going, nah, yeah. nah, oh, there it is. There's a fracture right there. <laughs> it's already on the screen. Uh, and this is where Kelly gets a bit scared. I want to go somewhere high. And I love, I love Eddie when they're running to what? What's going on? What's happening? Information, please. <laughs> Ian's just like, I should know the better. And then they go up. Uh, and this is um, your scene there, isn't it? With um, when Malcolm's going to jump down the thing, but you never keep your word. Yeah, uh, which I'm sure you're going to. I I do like their little thing where they keep saying to each other, like my goddess, my what is it, my princess, my inspiration, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I do like Malcolm like ringing on the phone, and of course they're not answering, and then he jumps down on that cable thing, and Eddie's just like, "Ooh, I would have pulled a little bit harder." <laughs> <laughs> And I do, I do like the scene between Sarah and Nick when she's like trying to oh, fix yeah. the leg. It's like I need something adhesive. Spit, and he just spits in her hand. Like <laughs> you're gum. <laughs> she wipes her hand on you're gum, you idiot. He's just like, what is he? Who is this guy? Who is he? <laughs> but he's so charming, and he's such an idiot. Yeah, That's the problem. It's a problem with Vince Vaughn. It's like he's such a douche of a character, but you can't not like <laughs> Vince Vaughn. I mean, I totally would have been the guy to spit in the hand, too. Like, I wouldn't have gone. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like, legitimately, she just says spit. Like, I mean, <laughs> um, And then we see uh, Malcolm coming into the trailer and, like, going off at them. And the, the bit that I don't get, like, with Kelly and Eddie up in the tree, with the way you see the uh, the T-Rex is going through the trees, like, they're very selective in Jurassic Park, aren't they, when you can and can't hear the footsteps of the T-Rex. Yeah. Sometimes it's very obvious, like, you'll get the ripples in the water, but then other times it's just like, huh, what? They appeared out of nowhere. Um, but then we get a fantastic scene, or well, kind of a lead-up to the scene. I'll, I'll, I'll lump all this together, so there'll be a bit here to talk about, but you, you know what I'm doing here. So um, the T-Rexes show up, uh, they basically give back the baby to uh, the T-Rexes. They walk off back into the jungle. Oh, life is better. Life is saved. The T-Rexes have gone. Uh, Malcolm is happy. I love Sarah, like, snapping at Malcolm. Oh, shut up. <laughs> like <to Ian. laughs> and then all of a sudden we get just the moment of, oh, no, this is going to be bad. And somehow the T-Rexes have returned. And, like, this scene, this whole sequence is great. This is, you know, not quite as good as the car attack scene from Jurassic Park, but, I mean, this is maybe the best scene of the whole movie, this whole trailer attack. One little thing I have to nitpick here is that people rip shit into uh, Jaws 4, the revenge, because a shark literally swims from one side of the country to the other to attack the Brody family. Why do the T-Rexes have a sense of revenge by all doing pushing a truck off the cliff? Like, (laughs) you stole our child, we're going to push you off a cliff. Like, just a little nitpick there. But, I mean, this whole sequence is great of them getting, you know, attacked and pushed over, and then ultimately we get the great scene with Sarah on top of the glass, which is maybe the best scene in the entire movie. This and maybe the long grass coming up, but just the whole tense scene of her on the glass that's cracking. I've never seen anything bad written about this. Uh, yeah. Um, everyone always, I think, commends this scene. It's been so good. Uh, and it ultimately leads to uh, Eddie coming to rescue them, uh, we get the great bit when they drop the rope. He drops the rope down the thing. You need anything? Rope. Need anything else? Three double cheeseburgers. No, I'm gonna mine and an apple turnover. 
<laughs> I, oh, I like hate that, that line. line. Oh, you hate it. I love it. That's that's oh. what I would do in that situation. <laughs> um, yeah, but and... you'd actually want the food. They were just trying to be clever and witty. Yeah, I would want the food. Yeah, I want double <laughs> Uh <laughs> But I do like Eddie's just old man here of trying to rescue them. He keeps falling over. Then when he oh. throws the rope down... A uh, bit of a dick moment from the three trying to get rescued. Rope, rope, give us the rope. Did you tie this to anything? <laughs> <laughs> what do you take Eddie for? Poor Eddie. Uh, and speaking of poor Eddie, here he's trying to rescue and he gets devoured by two T-Rexes. That's a bit uncalled for. Rip Eddie. Um, Seven-year-olds <laughs> everywhere were shedding a tear when that happened. They were, they were. Uh, then the truck ultimately crashes over the cliff. Now, this like we talk about the CGI and things being pretty good, but I think the direction here, I don't know, again, if this is Spielberg or the second unit director here, but like they're obviously on a green screen dangling. Yeah. And there's some director going, okay, now look down, the truck's exploded. Now well, look out, things are moving around you. But like legitimately look at the expressions of their faces as a tire <laughs> nearly gets them. Another car fault. They're just so calm and collected that this yeah. truck is exploding around them. They're just like, yeah, yep, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, then ultimately they climb up the rope and they're rescued by the survivors of the other part, which Nick Van Owen also caused. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, overall, this is like an amazing scene. I, I really doubt you're going to have anything bad to say about this whole sequence. I know gelled over a lot of specifics but um yeah i mean just the glass scene alone here is enough to, to just absolutely love the shit out of this whole sequence uh well i would love to just keep throwing all of the heat on nick here for all the problems but uh we should at least point out that when they find when when roland and aj find the nest here with the baby t-rex it has two working legs, which means they broke a leg of a baby T-Rex <laughs> to lure the other one in here. So I think they accept part of the blame for this happening. Um, Nick could have just left it's it there. It's a mistake, though. So I, I believe in the book or the deleted scene, like RJ accidentally breaks its leg. So mm. that that's just removed from the movie. But I do know at some point, either in the, again, the book or a deleted scene, it is pointed out that RJ accidentally steps on it and breaks its leg. Well, that would be a terrible deleted scene. Like, at this tense moment, we need to bring in the T-Rex. Oh, jeez, I just stepped on its leg. Oh, oh shit, Roland, oh, sorry, sorry. The sorry. bone's coming right sorry. out of the skin. <laughs> you can see the bone coming out of the skin. Oh, okay. But let's just look at it logically now. So he accidentally stepped on the leg. Let's strap this thing down to the ground now and let it slowly die in front of us. <laughs> I don't know if that helps matters any. These two What's giant that? creatures with teeth. They won't care. Let's just wait in a tree. Put some camouflage over our <laughs> Yeah, what is that camouflage supposed to do to them, too? <laughs> it's like, like a net. net. <laughs> yeah. Like, how is that helping them? <laughs> There's no way it's going to spot us. <laughs> That's just so stupid. <laughs> Um, I love Roland, but that's terrible. And yeah, like, Ajay really gets shafted in this movie. <laughs> the exact same. We might, as, we might as well just talk about it now, because I think this is like one of his two scenes in the movie. But yeah, the same thing when, when they're like, Ajay didn't make it. Like, I just want Ludlow in that scene later on to go, oh, I'm so sorry, Roland. And then he turns to something and goes, which one was Ajay? Because <laughs> you literally don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> he's just so. That's like when they find when Nick finds his pack. I think this is RJ's pack, not RJ. <laughs> <laughs> or or Carter or Dieter or one of those guys. Um, now you're in trouble when you remember Cardamore in this film, and not RJ. Carter has one line. You're right. He's more memorable than RJ. <laughs> um, yeah, I like Ludlow's presentation. You know, the video cutting in and out. Like, I always wonder those people watching it. They have the same reception that he's seeing of them. They probably ha- can't even tell what they're looking at. Like, he doesn't have to show them. He could have like a stick with a leave on it, and somebody's bobbing it up and down. It's like, look, this is our Stegosaurus. Rawr, rawr. <laughs> Doesn't it look scary? Can you imagine it in the park? Rawr. <laughs> Many things you could have done here. Um, and yeah, they mentioned the, the whole park here in San Diego, which, you know, I, I, I like that idea that there was this park that they could have had uh, or that this was the original plan. Like, uh, I mean, not that everything is perfect with this story or even Crichton's novel, but there's some interesting ideas there. Instead of just going for a predictable sequel, he's like, what if there was a second island? What if there was this original plan and this this big backstory that you never knew existed? Um, you do have to wonder, though. You eventually see it later on. That, that park's pretty visible. Has nobody actually wondered yeah. what is Jurassic Park and why is there this giant amphitheater here? Um but uh it's san diego i mean they've got other things to look at like like the, the border. chargers need the chargers. yeah <laughs> i didn't even go to them when they were there come on the padres <laughs> i went to a padres game when i was in san diego you know um and yeah the, the whole rampage that nick lets loose <laughs> and sarah's and there helping him like like sarah's so just is so malcolm where's kelly by the way like kelly's back in the trailer like what's she doing I mean, did he take her back or something? Like, who knows? Uh, I do love that line. It's like, that's the last time I leave you in charge. It's like just like talking to a child here. Uh, <laughs> the animatronics for the baby T-Rex are fantastic. Because uh, I have to say, yeah, I, I, everybody loves the animatronics in Jurassic Park. And I think when you have the big dinosaurs, it looks great. But the closer up you have to get to them, sometimes they do look like animatronics. Even in the original and even in this. This baby T-Rex to me always looks real. Uh, the, the one animatronic shot of the, the baby Stegosaurus we saw earlier on, that shot always bothered me because it looks so robotic. And even like one of the shots they have an animatronic compi, it just sort of looks like a puppet. This looks incredible. Like the, the way it moves and the fact that they're carrying it and it's on the table and everything. And it just has a lot of life. And this point on, like for the next 10 minutes, this is like not only the best stuff in this movie, it's... Second to probably only the the T Rex attack uh, with the jeeps in the first movie. Like I would argue, this is as strong, if not better, than most of the action scenes in the first movie. Let alone that one T Rex attack. Like it's incredible. You, you you can't even go into it. I mean, it's it's everything in there. It's it's the the way the tension builds with the the two T Rexes on the side, and then I love that moment where the one roars and you see Sarah screaming, but you can't hear it because mm. it's just drowning mm-hmm. her out. Uh, when they hand the baby out the door, I love the awkward smile that Sarah has. Like, there you go. Okay, we're all good now, right, guys? <laughs> and they slowly put themselves back in the door. One of Ian's best lines in the movie is here, too, where he's like, oh, I don't know why nobody ever listens to me. I use plain, simple English. I don't have any accident that I'm aware of. <laughs> She's like, shut up, Ian. <laughs> yeah, I just love Sarah. Shut up. Oh, shut up. <laughs> 
and then the way that like yeah i'm i'm sort of on board with this whole ian's a completely different character there are times it's not that it bothers me he's a different character it's the fact that he is kind of boring in this movie a lot of the time like there's great moments but one thing that jeff goldblum really sells like you mentioned the trailer moments he knows how to sell a big moment before it happens like uh, jeff goldblum is an actor when he slowly stands up and you don't see anything other than his expression and all he does is like quietly goes like hang on and then the whole trailer rocks like his expression is what makes that so like the jolt that you get from that happening and then the whole t-rex attack is fantastic uh i i like when he starts suddenly repeating things that nick says like hang on to something and he's like hang on to something like i think she heard you (laughs) she heard nick at least uh but i do hate that line about the 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 cheeseburgers or whatever it's just it's one of those lines that's like it would be funny in the right context but in this scene it 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 takes some of the tension out of it it doesn't fit the tone here it doesn't feel realistic especially in a movie where they've gone really far to make this different and make it realistic that if somebody really had been attacked by dinosaurs in their life they would be terrified and the fact that ian's just so cool after this happening when he was more terrified than anybody it it doesn't make sense to me that he would say that i just oh i hate that line as well as the whole he does do that in the he does do it in the movie, though, when he gets discovered by Ellie and, and Muldoon. It's like, remind me to thank John for a lovely weekend. Like, he, that's kind of what he well, does. he had just gotten away, at least. I mean, at this point, they're still holding on for their life. Like, they could fall at any minute. I don't know. It, it's, I see it as a little bit different. I kind of get what you're saying, but there's something about the timing of it that doesn't work, the context, the fact that the joke keeps going. Like, if he had just had his line, that would be one thing, but then Nick's like, no pickles or onions, and then she's like, apple turmoil over two... <laughs> We we could just have the one line and it'd be done with. Um, and Eddie, yeah, and the high hide and everything. Uh, I, I, another line I absolutely hate is Kelly. Well, I hate pretty much every line Kelly has in this movie. Uh, the two that really <laughs> bug me are the hey, whole, you. you never keep your word. Well, well that, yeah, so there's another one. But the way that she oversells the, uh, I need to go somewhere to hide. Somewhere that's high. And there's another one of those, you know? <laughs> Like, why does she have to emphasize somewhere high? Like, ugh, just shut up, Kelly. Shut up, Kelly. (laughs) You're Um, racist, Colin. How does that make me racist? I I love love Arnold and AJ and the guy from Jurassic World who is kind of like the Indian John Hammond. All of the minorities, except for her. <laughs> and I just Odd. mentioned all of the minorities. The other black guy in Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> There's so many of them. The one black guy in Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> the, <laughs> the mercenary gets like eaten by a spino on the plane. That's it. <laughs> uh, but the whole sequence is incredible, aside from a couple of those little lines that they have there that I don't really like. Uh, the... The thing with Eddie is the best, though. Like, you mentioned the, the moment of the glass. I'm not going to take away from that. Like, that is the most tense moment of the movie. Uh, that's like when the T-Rex is crushing the kids and the, the glass from the sunroof in the car. But the stuff with Eddie going back and forth, like, the way you describe it, it should sound really funny, but it is really tense. And the music that plays during this entire sequence is incredible, especially the stuff when Eddie's yeah. running back and forth. Uh, and 
the the big moment like after oh i'm so sad that eddie gets eaten especially the way it's done where you see he has the gun there with that tranquilizer dart that you know would take this thing out in a second because they set that up um and he just can't get out of the seat it's it's probably the one death scene i'm gonna include the first movie in this because let's be honest the characters that die in the first movie you don't care and you don't care about the, you don't care when aj dies in this one uh but Eddie's the, probably what? the only Don't death. <laughs> That's right. AJ. Who's AJ? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's probably the only death I could think of. Maybe even if you include the third movie as well, that's kind of like this is a sad moment because it's a character you like. Like, do any other characters really make the audience Muldoon. care about them before they die? Muldoon. Well, maybe Muldoon. But I would say, even, even though I like Muldoon better as a character, I would say that, you know, it's he kind of appreciates his own death so that that lightens it a little the the whole clever yeah. girl line like it's it's the, it's it's honestly kind of heartbreaking yeah. when Eddie dies here i mean the only one it's not the same it's not the same because you just there's no character development oh it's it's a confusing death the system in jurassic world because you're not sh- yeah to feel about it like he's this woman who's all she's doing is looking after these little shit kids like she's not done anything <laughs> wrong and yet she's viciously like attacked by by a pterodactyl and then eaten by a mm-hmm. mosasaur. It's like, what the hell? Like, what yeah. did this woman do? Um, but, I mean, maybe Mizrani, but, I mean, even then, like, Jurassic World, you don't really care as much as the characters as you do with these first what, two and a half movies. It's not even that. Um, there are some like, in Jurassic Park with... that you don't care about. But let's look at even the first one. Like, how much do you really... We, we say we like them, but how much do you care about Gennaro? How much do you care about... Uh, well, you're not meant Arnold. to. That's the thing with Gennaro, isn't it? Yeah. You're not meant to like Gennaro. Arnold's just a blink and you miss it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. I can't think of anyone else who dies that you that he really is a good... I mean, there's only really the bad guys die where you're kind of like, well, they deserve that. So yeah. um, there's no one, really. I mean, maybe what's his name in Jurassic Park 3 because he was meant to die, but then he kind of came back at the end. Um, mm-hmm. What's his name? Eddie, no. What's you know what I'm talking about? Grant's assistant who steals the eggs. Oh, Billy, yeah. Billy, Billy, yes. When Billy sort of is allegedly dead, but spoiler alert for next week, he doesn't die, kids. Yay, Billy's <laughs> alive. Woo. Uh, so yeah, but I mean, if they, if they had killed Billy off, maybe Billy. But yeah, there's no one else really. Yeah, it's a great sequence too, though, and, and the music, like I said, is great. It's, the way it ends too. One of my favorite cues of music is just that moment where they start pulling them up or when they're pulling them up and all of a sudden you, the hand reaches out and pulls Sarah up. And there's like this big heroic mm-hmm. music mm-hmm. that plays there. So many good moments in the score. And I love the score for the first Jurassic park, but like in comparison, the score for the first Jurassic park, you could insert that music into an Indiana Jones movie or some other Spielberg, John Williams collaboration. This music, like the only movie it works in is the lost world. It's just perfect for this movie. I'd agree. I'd agree with that. It's it, The thing that always baffles me about this movie in, in the fact that when characters show up just after a T-Rex attack, they're there so quickly. Like, where yeah. are the T-Rexes are when, like, what, 50 people show up? <laughs> um, the T-Rexes just not pick a few of these off one by one? That They've just knocked mm-hmm. off, you know, Eddie. Uh, we're about to hear, like, oh, just eight. How do they know that they just say Eddie? Are they in the bushes watching this? <laughs> like, exactly. Go on, get him on the <laughs> <say> Eddie! <laughs> How do they know? Um, which obviously leads us to somebody here was to Instagramming the whole... it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, look, the guy's gonna be in the West Wings. We're actually eaten. 
Um, <laughs> so, all the survival people from the Nick Van Owen screwed up camp number one are here, as you said, they rescue uh, Nick Van Owen screw up number two. Um, and we kind of get this confrontation between everyone. I do like uh, Dieter, Dieter versus Nick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got a problem? Now I do. <laughs> Just getting into each other's faces. We get that scene uh, we briefly touched on before between Sarah and Burke, who apparently know each other, but they don't. Um, then we get... Um, uh, Roland talking about, as we just said, Rex just ate, and I kind of like how uh, Malcolm's like, that was our friend Eddie, he gave his life to save ours, show some respect! <laughs> well, then Roland's Ooh. response, well, then his problems are over. <laughs> yes, he just doesn't give a shit. Uh, that's what Ludlow should have said to him, AJ, RJ's dead, well, his problems are over, aren't they? <laughs> I do, I do like Ludlow in this scene though. He's just kind of like, oh, you know, there is a facility that we can go to for communication. Uh, it's about a day's walk, maybe more. Uh, but that's not the problem. And then like, what is the problem? Then he sees like a little alcohol can- canister on the ground. Yeah. Ha ha! Grabs it, drinks it, <laughs> and he's like, Velociraptors! Yes! Remember those shitty little things in the first movie? <laughs> but, <laughs> I love <laughs> Oh, as sad as his death as Eddie's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this starts off the tr- the trek uh, through the through the jungle. We get some more great music going through, um, and we basically oh we get a few little like conversations. I do like uh, the bit when um, is it uh, this is the Earth First bastard, isn't it? Moment when he's like talking to Nick, and then he's talking to Nick more yeah. about how the world's greatest predator ever to live is. Here and the second greatest predator is going to take him, um, mm-hmm. and then we kind of get that line from him when Nick says like, like, oh, you know, been extinct for all these time, and he gets pulled back to the earth. First thing you want to do is hunt it. And then he's like, oh, remember that chap who climbed Everest a few years ago? Forgot his name. <laughs> climbed up with no oxygen. Came back nearly dead. They ask him, why did you go up there to die? He's like, I didn't. I went up there to live. Like, ooh, inspirational. Um, That's a really good speech. I actually like that. that. Yeah, so do I. It is a good one. Uh, but then we get Malcolm Malcolm say to Ludlow about like, oh, so I see the takeover of uh, InGen's going quite well. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Just like dick Malcolm moment. Uh, and then we get the line of, you know, taking another trailer line, taking Dice off the island is the worst idea in the history of bad ideas. Uh, speaking of bad ideas, now I think, like, I like Sarah. We've talked about Sarah. We've given her a bit of a free ride here because as dumb as Nick is for causing all the problems... Here is this, what is she, like a paleontological behavioralist or whatever it is. We can just point out earlier on in this movie, complains about sitting around in a lab reading she wanted to get out of and do something. If you are a paleontologist, you're kind of going to be sucking on for a long time because you're studying extinct animals. So why is she complaining about this? Second... Um, she is a bit of a stalker because it is. We hear from Hammond when she say, he says that she tracked you down after mm-hmm. she found about your injury in the park. So she's just using Malcolm, all right. Second and third, for someone who's so smart about dinosaurs and behaviour, and she, you know, shut down Burke before about like the Rexes walking around in you know not be territorial or whatever it was. Why is she walking around with a jacket on with blood on it? That he's going to clearly attract these dinosaurs that's not drying. So, Sarah, I love you. You're a great character, but you're not that smart sometimes. Yeah. 
Does that point that out? Look at Can we get these. Look at who our father is, Ben. Well, true. <laughs> Who doesn't fall too far from the tree? I want that bit when, like, Roland says to her, Are you her? Eating? Oh, be darned. <laughs> Dad told me to look out for obvious things. <laughs> Pupils are fixed and dilated. I'll be darned. <laughs> I want a Dr. Harding, like, Christmas movie. <laughs> you know, like, there's Harding family here this Christmas. morning that weren't there last night. I'll be done. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we, we obviously, they get a, <laughs> they get a break. Uh, Dieter's got to go to the bar, sorry, the ladies' room. Uh, <laughs> To which Carter doesn't hear because Carter's listening to the best of Enrique or something like that. <laughs> Enrique Anglais. <laughs> That's Enrique. Enrique? Enrique. Can we just point out? I love like when Dina goes to the bathroom. Dina was busting to do a shit because he's like running. He's trying to undo his. He's all like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> He's busting. Poor old Dita. <laughs> and then a little compy comes up to him. He zaps it with his cattle prod. He obviously, like, lets go of a couple of nuggets. And then the next thing along, he's, like, walking, <laughs> walking around the forest, shouting out, Carter, Carter. Now, okay, we get it. Carter's listening to Enrique CD. But what, like... <laughs> Carter's, like, so close to everyone else. Why does nobody else hear? Poor old Dieter. I know! <laughs> Why doesn't one of these guys just go, Oh, my God, Carter, can't you hear him? <laughs> They're, like, three feet apart. <laughs> everyone hates Dieter, clearly. They're just like, oh, there's Dieter again. You know what it is? Like, everybody else is just, they're hearing it. But they're also hearing the music playing, and Enrique's most famous song was "Da la 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 Carter, da la 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 Carter." <laughs> they're all having like a big dance. Everyone's in the jungle, like oh, Carter, Carter. <laughs> anyway, poor old he falls down a cliff and he gets attacked by compies. Uh, he gets rid of some of them before getting attacked and eventually succumbing to death in the river. I do like um, the scenes, though, when we've got... Because I think they they set this up quite well. Because, you know, obviously we've only seen these little compies uh, attack a little girl. So we know that they're going to be a bit vicious. But Dita doesn't know that. He thinks, uh, based on his experience, he's easy ones to overcome. But I do like it when we kind of got them all on him. You've got that one of, like, the compi like biting his lip, like ripping his skin <laughs> off his lip. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a, I don't say fun, fun's not the right word, it's a very dark scene, I guess, kind of, it's, it's, it's graphic mm. as best as you can have in a Jurassic Park movie. Um, but, you know, I like Dieter, blink and you miss him, but, you know, yeah. more than AJ's death. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> meanwhile, as he, we see the blood go into the stream, cut on it, on it, on it, on it, on it, has to be hit with a rock. <laughs> Uh, We also get, um, you know, an important scene 
when uh, Roland's left his gun behind and Nick gives it a bit of an evil stare. What you're up to now, Nick? Oh, this isn't going to cause any problems in the future for San Diego. I think Nick should be sued by all the victims of the <laughs> San Diego should. incident. That guy running away from the T-Rex, he gets eaten, the rider guy who's got the cameo. Um, mm-hmm. Like, his family should be suing Nick Van Owen <laughs> when Nick Van Owen's getting his Pulitzer Prize <laughs> for the... Uh, for the photo, somebody stands up. I represent the family of Jim Jones. <laughs> I'm suing you. You've been served, Nick Van Owen. <laughs> <laughs> There's another our next one-off film. Nick Van Owen being served. <laughs> Nick Van Owen versus the people. It's like, instead of the O.J. Simpson, that uh, American crime story, it's Nick Van Owen. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Vince Vaughn put on so much weight. He's been sued by all the people in the city. <laughs> I can't handle it. I have to do comedies now. <laughs> He's hiding out in Mexico with Carter for the next 20 years. <laughs> in walks Dodson. Dodson, Dodson, we got Dodson. Dodson, we got Dodson. <laughs> That doesn't look very scary. Oh, come on in, mate. You're here too. <laughs> I just want that one. Dodson, Dodson, Carter! Dodson, Carter! <laughs> Enrique? Enrique? <laughs> Enrique? Carter! Dodson! <laughs> Meanwhile, only we could turn the death of a character into a joke, apparently. Um, <laughs> so, um, poor old Carter uh, has been uh, thrown under. The- it's his fault because everyone else couldn't hear the screams. <laughs> poor old Dieter. Uh, so, they can't find him. They've got to go searching for him. So, everybody, let's rest here. And I do like. Um, Roland when he turns what is he, he said to Malcolm like no one tells a little girl oh no he says it to Sarah doesn't yeah. he um and uh oh, look I'll, I'll keep going here with this we'll just lump a whole bunch here together uh everyone's asleep um Roland comes back and says that we found only the bits that they didn't like I do like <laughs> that line I like I like how he kind of like he sits down with them and then he's like did you find him then he has a swig of water and then he's like only the parts they didn't like <laughs> yeah and then just the bit again very casual similar to the first movie I think this was Gennaro I think this was too anyway <laughs> moving on let's get to the control tower <laughs> uh, so he's going to let him sleep for a little bit longer until they get to because the, they're only a mile away and this is when we get the dumbness of Sarah Harding hanging up the blood soaked shirt in the tent <laughs> to which he's like oh no you don't say Sarah <laughs> and it's, it's another great tent scene, though, the way the T-Rex is kind of in the tent. Uh, yeah. Maybe the last great tent scene of any Jurassic Park film. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get the long grass scene coming up. But, uh, I mean, really, think about any other scenes in the next two movies that we really are filled with, like, this kind of fear and tension. Um, and ultimately, stupid Carter, not listening to his music now. Ah! Ah! up the Everybody runs. I do like the line from the Malcolm, though. Again, another trailer line. Don't move, don't move. 
Um, yeah. and well, Carter gets his come up. It's in a minute. He gets squashed by the T Rex as he's running away. But uh, we kind of get a bit of a nod to the waterfall sequence that we should have had in the first movie. It's in the book. Um, when obviously in the book, uh, we've got Lex, Tim, and Grant behind a waterfall. Uh, after the the river rafting scene, which again, I really hope somehow they can find a way to recreate that a uh, little bit more. Even though we have kind of got a bit here, we have got a bit in Jurassic Park three. They kind of do bits and bobs of it, but uh, they all hide behind the waterfall. Burke is scared of snakes. Who cares about the T Rex? Ah, snake, snake! <laughs> I love that bit. He's just like shit scared of a snake. Honestly, that would be me if I'm in that cave with a big spider. <laughs> That's so um, and then another case of where the hell were they five seconds ago because Malcolm runs through the waterfall yet the T-Rex has just gone away because he's eaten Burke um, and we get him thanking Nick Van is he thanking him for saving Kelly or thank you for fucking up this whole trip <laughs> yeah, that was sarcastic thanks thank Nick you, Nick. I'll end it there before we get to the long grass. But yeah, a bit to talk about. Uh, well, I like a lot of the, the conversation. Like, one of the things that we really praised in the first one was the dialogue scenes, the endless dialogue scenes of just people discussing philosophy and stuff like that. This movie kind of loses it here, but the first few scenes uh, after the T-Rex attack still have a little bit of that. Um, like the fight between Nick and Dieter and uh, the the uh, the whole thing with the Velociraptors, uh, but particularly the one that follows that when they're in the rain and everything, and Nick has that conversation like, "You look like you have a shred of common sense. What are you doing here with these guys?" You know, and then that whole Everest thing, which is like it's 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 a great speech where Pete Postlewaite can deliver that better than anybody else. Uh, everything Pete Possibly does in this movie, like I can't picture, he's like the Richard Attenborough of this movie. I can't picture anybody else doing what he did in this, uh, because again, there's not a lot on paper for this character. Like he just brings it to life so well. Um, the Ludlow scene, uh, the one line uh, which I wanted to add here, where um, you know he says, uh, you know, you try to come off like John Hammond, but. Uh, uh, it just sounds like a hustle. And then he goes, uh, they say talent skips a generation, so I'm sure your kids are going to be smart as tax or <laughs> sharp as tax or whatever. Yes. Uh, and, yeah, oh, one of the line with uh, Roland, like, yeah, Malcolm and Roland basically make up every line of dialogue in every trailer. Because you also have, like, those Roland lines, like, let's get this movable feast underway. Which... Which is a line which, can I just say, I use. I, like, <laughs> I've used that in the Brink Unleashed, but uh, yes, I like that line. Let's get this movable feast underway. Whenever I'm trying to walk somewhere, yeah. all right, let's get this movable feast underway. Yeah. Oh, so good. Uh, and I like the whole just fed thing, because it's the only time where they really are like, you know, he gave his life to save ours, and they're like, well, his problem's over. Nobody's saying that about Dieter later on, just the parts he didn't like. Why isn't Ian like, hey, show some respect. That man died so that we could live. <laughs> he pops up everywhere. He's like, hey, show some respect later on. Are you okay? What's the matter? RJ's dead. Hey, show some respect. That was RJ. <laughs> Um, Everyone needs to re-edit that. It's like every single season of Jurassic Park 3 when the black dude gets eaten by the spider. So, hey, he was running towards the plane. Show some respect. dies <laughs> <laughs> in Jurassic World. Hey, he was a greedy son of a bitch who wanted to turn these dinosaurs into soldiers. Show some respect. 
Uh, yeah, endless possibilities. <laughs> um, the scene with Dieter's death. <laughs> hey, I don't. This is a sorry, weird. Sorry, this is the funniest one of all. You're gonna laugh your shit off at this one. <laughs> and the Indominus Rex gets eaten by the monster. Hey, he was genetically created in the lab, which is T-Rex and Velociraptor. Show some respect. Anyway, he didn't ask to be born that way. Show some respect. <laughs> It's like, um, what's this, uh, rocket in Guardians of the Galaxy? I didn't ask to be created in a lab. <laughs> oh, that just it reminds me of Austin Powers with Scotty Eagle. I wish I was never unofficially created in a lab! <laughs> Show some respect! Uh, where are we? <laughs> Learn how to do a podcast, Colin Hilding. Show some respect to our listeners. All they've heard so far is sneezing, coughing, lawnmowers, and fridge falling apart. Um, I've actually lost where we are. Oh yeah, Dieter's death. Okay, show some respect. Uh, Alright, so the Dieter scene's actually kind of weird for me because it's very memorable. Uh, and it's not like I wanted to write in my notes that from this point on, it just, like you said, just becomes an endless dinosaur chase, which I do think gets kind of old from this point on. I think all the, the stuff I fondly remember about this movie is, strangely enough, the early stuff before we get a lot of dinosaurs. But I can't lump this scene in with it because this scene is really good and it's, very, it's one of the most memorable scenes of the movie it's staged very well like a lot of the, the shot where you have Dieter lying on the ground and there, he looks and there's one copy and then it cuts to a shot of like him looking in a different direction and the camera zooming towards him mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be another copy like there's some great shots in here but in a way it's almost a little bit too gruesome like it's not that it bothers me I'm not you know upset or sickened by it but it's one of the things that this is like indiana jones and the temple of doom you know indiana jones and the temple of doom it should be kid friendly to a certain degree and there are areas where they just went way too far like when you're watching adults literally whipping children on the back the violence just gets a little bit too much for it it's just, it's too much for that type of movie and that's kind of how i feel about the scene but at the same time i like the scene i like everything about it it's just it doesn't feel like it belongs, at least in this part of the movie here. Uh, the scene you mentioned with the lip is great, too. And there's some great behind-the-scenes shots of uh, them actually filming that and how they had to do it with like this little puppet uh, to actually get attached to his lip and everything. That's great. Uh, but, yeah, the, the the other part that I really like, not just the fact that he keeps calling for Carter. Hey, Carter! After the first compy attack on him, where he actually scares them off, he stops calling for Carter and says, like, Hey, roll it! So he realizes, like, <laughs> my life is not going to be put in Carter's hands. <laughs> roll it! Roll it! Carter, Carter forgot me! <laughs> it's like when you, like, call for your mom or something like that, and you're like, Dad, mom won't! Yeah. <laughs> we get that with Casper, you know. Uh, it'll it'll constantly be like mommy mommy and then Jamie will like uh, yell at him for something or take something away from him and he'll come screaming he's like daddy daddy <laughs> Roland's the daddy painting, in this case I love you're painting Jamie as a horrible person like Jamie will yell at him or take something away from him <laughs> well <laughs> only one of them hey, that mommy mommy give me your toy go to bed 
A, that is the more likely scenario, and B, it probably has happened the other way, but for this story, it doesn't. I'm the good parent, Jamie's the terrible one. But moving on, because she can hear me. <laughs> Go clean the fridge, Jamie. <laughs> um, yeah, I, the, the, the stuff after the Dieter scene, like, it, it's all kind of weird from this point on, because I like the scenes, but there's something about it that just doesn't click. Uh, the scene at the camp is great. Like you mentioned, the really tense scene where the T-Rex has its snout like inside of the tent and everything, and where Kelly wakes up. Like Sarah's been up the whole time, and Kelly wakes up and she's about to scream, and Sarah just like just barely covers her mouth. It all works really well, but like the chase scene that follows, I don't know. There's not. You ever have it where there's a movie that you've seen a million times, and every time you watch, you're like, "Huh, I didn't really notice that part before." And it's not that you're noticing something new; it's that you just reach a point where you sort of start to tune the movie out and it's you're just on mm. autopilot. Oh yeah. I remember this happens and this happens. That's kind of what this point in the movie is for me. Um, I like the stuff with the tent in the camp, the tension that's building. And, uh, you know, we get the, the ripple effect in the puddles, you know, they had to bring that back. They have it in all the movies really. Uh, but that was a, a clever way of presenting at this time. But I don't know this, ch- this endless chase scene here of just, Carter screams and then you have all these other guys screaming and there's some cool shots like the the footprint where it's attached to the T-Rex as a f- foot when it comes up the second time. Uh, the waterfall scene, I don't know if it really works. Like Something like that feels like it should be a lot more tense than it is in this movie. Uh, I, I do think it's funny. Uh, my alternate choice for my profile pick was I wanted to get the T-Rex, which I never quite noticed that it legitimately does lick Julianne Moore's cleavage yeah. in this shot here. It's not just like the tongue's in there. It's licking her cleavage. So I was telling Jamie, I'm looking for, I'm, I'm scanning through the movie. And I'm trying to find somebody to screenshot. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just trying to get the shot where the dinosaur licks Julianne Moore's cleavage. And she's like, what kind of sick fantasy is that? That's not in the movie. And she thought that I was making it up like it was in my head that like this is some sick, twisted sexual fantasy I have about dinosaurs licking Julianne Moore's skin. Oh, well, like all the ones uh, that Jamie has, that, oh, that scene in Captain America where I was licking Chris Evans' cleavage. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm so sick that. Yeah, Jamie... <laughs> Plenty of times where you're like, hey, remember the shot where somebody's licking Chris Evans' pecs? <laughs> Glad you said pecs there. Sound like something else. She's, but, uh, anyway. she's, she's silent right now because she knows it's true. Now you gave her an idea. Colin, yeah. um, look after Casper. I'm going to bed. <laughs> she's actually got it on Netflix right now. It's like, I don't remember that shot in the movie. I got to look for this. <laughs> what was that website uh, she used to go to? Shirtlesshunks.com or something like that. <laughs> I think we just invented it through all the jokes of it. But yeah, I'm sure there is one that she's found. Now she's heard um, that. com. <laughs> she doesn't listen to this show. No one does. Uh, you and I don't listen to this when we record it. But I don't know. I, I don't love the waterfall scene. And I feel like it should be... Maybe it's because it was you know a little bit better in the book. Um... Maybe it's because they also just use an excuse. I don't like when movies cheapen deaths. Like you even mentioned the only deaths that, you know, you you really should not care about are the ones where the villains. I don't like when a movie like this makes a character unlikable enough where you're supposed to like their death. And th- this feels like they're just using this as an excuse to kind of attack a real guy in real life who has controversial theories that are contrary to their experts, you know? 
so I I I, I kind of like the Burke character at moments in this movie. I just don't like the way that they just abruptly kill him off to make some type of political statement to the archaeological world out there. As if there's enough archaeologists, um, <laughs> uh, dino, dino guys out there <laughs> who, you know, are like, oh, yeah, stick it to that, you know, whatever backer. Um, but, uh, I don't know, did we cover anything after the waterfall scene here, or is this pretty much it? Uh, no, I think that's, that's yeah, I've stopped just for the long run. I mean, All I right. see what you mean, like, it's... She- I don't know. I still enjoy this film to this because I think it's it's important to get them running and chasing away so we lead into the raptor stuff and ultimately to separate them um, because yeah. really, I mean, <laughs> there's what, like 50 of these other crew and probably about half of them get picked off one by one here by the raptors. But, um, you know, I think it's important that we get some of them sort of, you know, killed off, the random people, RJ. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I still think. I mean, I'm going to be defending the the San Diego stuff. So these are things where you and I maybe going to all oh. of a sudden change our viewpoints on this. Um, but from here, it, we get this great long grass sequence, which is fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's up there as one of the best in this whole film. Uh, running through, and you know, we get RJ's one line in this movie: "Is not a don't go into the long grass, <laughs> stay out of the long grass." He says as he runs into the long grass. Clever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, it's just a great. Like you mentioned the shot before, like the overhead one of the raptors creeping up on the people, and just the way they're sort of like sucked down, and our, our one black guy getting eaten in this film, <laughs> like raptor jumping on top of him. Um, thing that I don't get about this sequence though is that Malcolm and that aren't really that far behind, and yet yeah. they run through the long grass. And yet they just hear like a bit of like a scream in the distance, and then Malcolm hears kind of the sounds of the raptors, and then we get the run as fast as you can, another trailer line. And yet somehow they're spared from all the grisly deaths, except for RJ's backpack. Better grab this. It's RJ. Something to remember him by. Um, and then they all fall down this like slide of bones. And then Nick Van Owen becomes the hero because he runs off to the control center. Uh, I do kind of like the bit when he's like going through the building and he like gets scared by the painting. Um, and then all the equipment just happens to work. What, like four years after a hurricane destroyed it? Um, you know, we need you to send help immediately. There's been massive casualties. And then we get this, the only, I always forget how little the raptors are in this movie. Uh, it's yeah. kind of the one Jurassic Park movie where the raptors really are not in it. It's kind of like Jurassic Park 3 when the T-Rex is in it for like two minutes. Um, so it's, they kind of interchange it a little bit, but, um, you know, it's, it's fine. I, I kind of don't see this scene the same though after watching the honest trailer when they're like, they turn Jurassic Park into Benny Hill and they kind of, <laughs> yes, they speed Malcolm getting chased by the raptor to, it's hilarious. Like, you can't watch this scene the same way again. But, oh, um, I forgot about that. I, 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 the one bit I do like is when Malcolm goes into that door. He closes the door and the raptor just jumps through the window. And Malcolm's yeah. got this look on his face. He just runs out the door. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tense to an extent. But is this the dumbest the raptors have been in any of the Jurassic Park movies? Oh, itself? yeah. Yeah, like, it's gotta mm-hmm. be. It has to be out of all of them. You know, they're painted as this super intelligent, you know, species, and yet, you know, they don't really do anything that intelligent. Maybe just the digging section. But that leads us to, speaking of digging, uh, nearly dug themselves <laughs> into a hole they never could have recovered from. 
Um, there's maybe one scene in the next movie which we might argue is worse, but uh, I'll be interested to see how you feel about that dream sequence. Alan! Um, <laughs> 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 we get... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we need to re-edit that scene of the dream sequence of Alan waking up. Enrique! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or Carter! <laughs> Show them respect. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can have so many dubs. <laughs> We're just trying to avoid having to talk about this scene. So they're stuck <laughs> in a building. The raptors are digging under a door. They try to go under another side. The raptors are like, oh, no, we've cornered you. Meanwhile, Malcolm's getting eaten by a raptor sort of in a car that's digging its way through a glass door. So they have to climb up because, as my dad always points out, in any movie, the only way to escape is ever by going up. And, oh, God. Remember earlier in the movie when we talked about the fact that Kelly was on the gymnastics team and she got cut from the oh. team? Everybody's been waiting for some, you know, revenge against the U.S. Olympic Committee for cutting Kelly from the team. So, <laughs> just, this is a, it's a unique system, I know. Yeah. But, like, okay, I... I know you did the first one. Like, why did we need, like, a, a saving moment for Lex? Like, I understand that. We need one for Kelly in this film. I like Kelly, but uh-huh. come on. She jumps onto some pipe on the ceiling, which just happens to be fixed into the ground. It's not going to break. I think the funniest bit is she jumped on that and it broke and she died. That's, oh, <laughs> shit, Kelly. That failed. <laughs> she just happens to do some amazing gymnastics routine, which, which all ends up with her going... Hey, you! And kicking a raptor outside the fucking house. It gets impaled. It's like stuck in this thing. Going, ah, 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 ah. Uh, <laughs> Malcolm, she lands in front of Malcolm. You just killed a raptor. Show some respect. <laughs> <laughs> a better a better line to which he, he responds. He yes. cut you from the team. <laughs> Oh, my God, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> ultimately, they escape. Uh, the helicopter arrives. Where the fuck is Nick during all of this? Like, Nick is still in the building <laughs> on the radio, probably chatting to Enrique, because as they come running up the stairs, he's like, come on, hurry up, hurry up, get to the helicopter. Is he not seeing his beloved new friends that he's just bonded with over a couple of days? <laughs> Um, anyway, they're up in the helicopter, off they go, they're rescued, uh, we also, we did kind of miss a scene when Roland went to shoot the Rex when they were back in the camp, and this is where Nick stole the bullets, so we get yeah. the, uh, the tranquilizer to, to get the Rex, and I do like that real, like, jungle sort of music they play when they open up oh, the, uh, so the canisters, um, this is where Ludlow shows up, finds Roland sitting there, and then we see the Rex kind of, uh, what, in a weird cage. And this is where Ludlow's like, you got your trophy, but what's the matter? What's the matter, old chap? He's like, oh, RJ didn't make it. No, not RJ. No, he was so young. Which one was he? <laughs> so much life ahead of him. Um, Lud- Ludlow does a nice thing when he, what does he say? Like, I like to remember the people who, you know, help me out. There's a job for you at the park if you want one. And then we get, uh, Roland. No, I've spent what enough time. What a nice time. guy. Yeah. I know, right? He just offered this guy a job. 
Um, the helicopter flies over the top and they see the, um, the Rex captured. One thing I, I love, like, Nick Van Owen's attempt at a one-liner. That's one souvenir they won't be taking. Uh, he really needs to put the glasses on again. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> but the one thing that I think is funny, like, when they're, like, flying over the, the Rex and then Sarah's like, <gasps> and she opens the door. Look at the pilot of the helicopter turn around as him to say, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, it's just a real blink and you miss it moment. Like, she's just opening the helicopter door in flight. Um, and then we see the Rex uh, all bundled up and go. So, uh, yes, uh, we're about to lead into the conclusion of this movie. And somehow Jurassic Park survived after, hey, you! <laughs> uh, um, I'm dreading getting there. It's funny that you actually said, oh, we're just trying not to talk about this. Because I, I, I don't even want to spend that long on it. Because all you could say is just, just awful. I'll just get it out of the way first. The gymnastics <laughs> stuff. Okay, the Unix system was funny bad they made a t-shirt of that there's no t-shirt that says hey you i i i gotta be honest i own so many t-shirts that like when i see a t-shirt jamie's like you have too many t-shirts you're not allowed to buy anymore um i told her i need to own this t-shirt and she said if you really want it get it now i'm like yes i want to get that before uh jurassic uh, world fallen kingdom comes out i want the unix system shirt uh, and I will find a companion one of a hey you and a gymnastics twirl for Ben. So we can each have one. <laughs> uh, one look, this... the raptor in the next movie, Alan. Alan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, each movie has to have its one moment, I guess. Um, but like, this is the worst one. Like, I'll, I'll defend Jurassic Park 3 over this because this is just terrible. Everything about it is dumb. The fact that they feel like they have to copy this, like, isn't this what people don't like in sequels? Just literally making the same movie over and over again? And I complained about how I didn't like how Sarah's whole thing about her theory about the nurturing parents had to completely, uh, you know, be copied off of Alan's whole theory about, you know, uh, dinosaurs turning to birds. There is no need for this. And I already pointed out that at least having Lex and Tim in the first movie, you could explain in the story why they're there, but they were needed for the tension of the movie. Kelly is never used for tension in this movie. There is one shot in this entire movie, uh, well, two shots. There's the one shot of the uh, T-Rex in the tent just as she's waking up, and then there's the one moment where she sticks her head, and I kind of like when Sarah's digging underneath the thing, and then you know she's like, okay, it's clear, and then you see the raptor's head come in just as... Kelly's sticking hers out. It's a good shot, but those are the only two moments in the entire movie. They don't even use her properly in this movie to create tension. What they do is they have her have this superhuman feat where it's not like this is like beyond Olympic. Like uh, uh, Simone Biles could not do this on her best day. These are rusted old pipes. She's going to need like 16 tetanus shots after doing this routine on this. This shed is so dilapidated that it's like, I don't even understand where the foundation is for this, how it's even standing, but like these bars are perfectly still, and then this whole hey you thing, you talk about how dumb the raptors are in this movie, like these raptors are dumber than Carter and Dieter, like it's it's just, (laughs) it's so stupid, they're distracted by little noises, and the moment where Sarah, like there's so many things wrong with this, I like the grass shot, but there's so many things wrong here, uh, the Benny Hill thing, like you mentioned, that's the good stuff here. The part where um, 
the uh the the raptors on the roof and sarah's like i got an idea let me pull the tiles down and then the raptor falls <laughs> yeah. to the ground and they, they just start fighting each other like for what reason she drops to the ground after that's like oh look they're so stupid they're only fighting each other to make it even worse how when shoddy Ian's are the rooms that engine build that the tiles fall down and why aren't they blown away from the hurricane yeah exactly I mean, they're, they're, all their electronics are still intact, like you mentioned. <laughs> These tiles are just peeling right off. Um, the worst part here, what they do for the Raptors. And what makes me angry about this... I'm getting angry now. <laughs> Show some respect to the Raptors. <laughs> um, they set them up really well. You mentioned about how little the Raptors are in this movie. I like that, and I like that... It's an hour and ten minutes into this movie before the word raptor is even mentioned. And it was that one moment where uh, Ludlow says, oh, that's not what we have to worry about, velociraptors, right? That's the first time they're mentioned. And then we only see them with the grass sequence, and that's great. But then from this point on, it's just, they're, they're, they're complete buffoons. The point where Ian's trying to distract it, and he's waving a stick going, hey, 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 hey. And it, he might as well just be going, stick, stick, stupid, and then throw it. Like, <laughs> no that's how... <laughs> that's how much they killed the Raptors in this movie. And one of the other things that I think they went the wrong direction with this, but they corrected in the next one, because I think they did a great job with the Raptors in the next one. You know, uh, uh, even the talking ones are slightly more believable <laughs> than these idiotic Raptors that we get mm. here. Come on. <laughs> well, like, do we want a talking freaking raptor? Like, okay, this is... The, the, you can't not deny it. The two worst scenes in all four Jurassic Park movies is this and the Alan scene from the next movie. Yes, but the Alan scene is one line. They let this drag out for the majority of the climax. And keep in mind that the whole San Diego sequence was not supposed to be there. So, and this is the other thing that always bothers me when I watch this movie, because it just feels very abrupt. Like, we spend an hour setting up getting the dinosaur action starting, and then literally within 30 minutes, they go through T-Rex attack on the trailer, um, T-Rex attack in the camp, Compi attack on Dieter, Raptor attack in the, the field, Raptor attack in the village, uh, T-Rex, you know... Trampling all these guys. That's all over the course of only 30 minutes. It's just nonstop dinosaurs chasing and killing people. And these are the dumbest dinosaurs of the bunch. And the raptor sequence here lasts longer than anything we see with the T Rex. Like, it is true, we see less of them in this movie than we do in any others. But this sequence goes on forever here. And yet it's just over like that. And they do nothing with the raptors here. Mm. Well, yeah, I think it's important we'll talk about kind of what's going to meant to happen from this point because the raptors were meant to be used more and i think that's important to note when it comes to what's going to happen with the the boat in a minute because there's a lot of conjecture about how the fuck the crew gets eaten so badly by one oh. dinosaur um we'll get to that in a minute one thing i quickly want to talk about before we get to all this because i know we're going to talk about this for a sec i've literally googled uh lost world gymnastic scene I have found, um, first of all, a point on Reddit, this is actually quite an interesting point. Somebody has posted that it, this is actually the only scene in all of the Jurassic Park movies in which a human kills a dinosaur. So just sit on that. No other human kills a dinosaur in Jurassic Kelly's Park. Kelly's the real villain. She's the only one who kills a dinosaur. The rest of the dinosaurs are killed by dinosaurs. So there you go. That's an interesting one. Um, but I found an article here, inverse.com, the headline 
in defense of the infamous gymnastic scene in Lost World Jurassic Park. Now, you think that they're going to have this great argument for this, right? You think it's going to be like an essay, like, hey, like you've all read the ones online about defending the prequels and things like that. Um, you know, they make some valid arguments. This one literally spends the entire article explaining what happens. They even point out that Steven Spielberg apparently is not a fan of The Lost World after all these years. He's tried to say that he just Pixar. didn't like it. And then basically right at the end, the only defense that they say is, and I'll read because it's short, it's dumb, yes. But it's classic Spielberg gag in the vein of the innocent BMX chase in E.T. or the infamous Cairo swordsman scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark. It undercuts a tense moment with a bit of Spielberg's patterned and sarcane comedy. Most gymnastics die no death. The character basically disappears from the movie, which is why it's probably singled out as a weak point. But when it's happening, it's supremely entertaining. That's not in defense of Jurassic Park scene. It's just a little opinion tacked onto you writing bullshit about everything else. Okay, can we come up with a Oz Network Jurassic Park Hall of Shame? And we basically got <laughs> Gerald Molin, a.k.a. Amazing Man, and whoever wrote this as supremely entertaining is our Hall of Shame? Yes, I agree. This is somebody written by Sean Hutchinson, June the 9th, 2016. They've got a gif here of... Uh, I'm just watching this over and over again of Kelly kicking his freaking raptor. <laughs> <laughs> Just the way the raptor falls through the window, it's kind of got like a little pause. And it's like, whee! <laughs> oh my god. And just even the way, like, the raptor's got a derp face before it gets, it's like, doo! <laughs> stick, stick, stupid! <laughs> stick, stick, stick! And there's, look at Malcolm in the background's face, just watching the way this raptor goes out the window. Malcolm's just like, no. <laughs> I can't stop watching this kid. Anyway, all right. So the ending of the movie, here we go. Um, so I think it's all renowned. Well, not renowned, but everyone knows that basically this is not how the movie was meant to end. And if I'm not mistaken in the book, it was pretty much how the book ends which there's a lot more of the pterodactyls or the pterodons in it. There's uh, hang gliders, I think, um, and lots more happening in the sequel, uh, the ending in the book that was meant to be planned. And I think it's all storyboarded out that from this point on, like the other survivors are jumping off cliffs with hang gliders, there's T-Rexes attacking, there's raptors, there's also, uh, yeah, as I said, the, the pterodons going on. And even, I think, in the initial script there, they were building the sets for, for this to happen and there was a video I was watching on YouTube about the fact that basically Steven Spielberg called them up halfway through construction and was like hey no I've got another idea stop building <laughs> so there's like all these unfinished sets which I think because they filmed a lot of this in California in some of the redwood forests of California not necessarily in Hawaii so I think there's actually sets you can visit somewhere there from what I've read um, but ultimately Steven Spielberg decided to change this over and we now get a T-Rex attack happening in San Diego now I just want to say, I have always liked this ending. And I generally know that people oh. hate this ending. This is what a lot of people just do not like about The Lost World. Because I think, and this is why I always appreciated it more when I watch it, because there is all those subtle little setups. They're talking about, you know, taking dinosaurs off the island and everything along those lines. And going back to what we were talking about last week, how um, in the first book, which I really wish they had explored more of dinosaurs off the island, sort of on the mainland... I, I really like the fact that they do this. 
And I just find this whole last sequence just very entertaining. It's very, like, it goes for, what, like 20 minutes? But it seems to me to go by very quickly. I just think that going on that article there about defending it, oh, it's typical Spielberg fun. I think there's more fun to be had in this last bit of the movie when you've got, like, the Japanese people running away, you've got the fake movie posters in the blockbuster store and things like that. Like, just little things like that I really, really enjoy. And we get some great Ludlow stuff to you, too. And I'm not trying to right now lump over everything that's happening. I will talk about this separately. And I think ultimately we're going to get a bit more dinosaurs off the island stuff in Jurassic World 2. But I've always liked this ending. Always liked it. And But, again, I know you're going to be on the opposite camp because, again, pretty much the majority of Jurassic Park fans absolutely despise this ending. So before we go through it, that sense worth. Are you going to say anything now or do you want me to just go over everything before you rip shit into it? Let me compose myself. You just go right ahead. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll try to. I'll try to build to this. So we we're at the docks in San Diego. We've got Ludlow giving a big speech about everything. And that, when I said to you before about how I thought I'd nitpicked your little uh, plot hole about San Diego, because earlier on when they're talking about San Diego, it kind of is alluded to that they've built it after the park disaster, but. Here, Ludlow kind of contradicts that because he said that this was already started before he ultimately built mm. Isla Nublar, and then he's come back to revisit this. Uh, I love uh, Malcolm and Sarah trying to break in, and they're like, "Oh yes, we, we're on the guest list. We're uh, you know those doctors. Uh, the test results came back." <laughs> and I love that security guard who's just like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah," and he's shutting the gate on them. I don't think it's funny. But uh, I do like the the bald guy who comes in and is basically like, oh, the boat's here. Uh, come and take a look at this. And the way Ludlow goes, so exciting, before he, like, walks back <laughs> into the building. Uh, and then we've got this boat, which is, what, the SS Venture, which isn't that a nod to King Kong? Um, yeah. Isn't that the same, yeah, boat? Comes in, crashing in. It was, 1997 was the same year as Speed 2, was it not? Uh, not a good year for boat, boats, crashing into yeah. 1997. Uh, <laughs> the difference is this one stops I think the one from Speed 2 is still going uh, <laughs> god that's a horrible movie uh, are we ever doing Speed 2 um, Willem Dafoe uh, anyway oh yeah who was the guy in Speed 2 who replaced Keanu Reeves Jason who is Patrick. that guy is that Jason Patrick okay there you go never mind yeah I was about to say, what happened to him? But never mind, it's Jason Patrick. So uh, the boat crashes, they get on the boat, and the whole crew has been ripped to shreds. And I kind of like that line when uh, Ludlow's like, where's the crew? All over the place. There's a black guy that survives. There we go. Uh, <laughs> just pointing that out. There's two in Jurassic Park franchise. Yay! Uh, now, this has always been a question about fans. Like, how does the T-Rex eat all these people? And get locked back in the the cargo hole. Which again, this was one bit where I always kind of like, huh, that doesn't make sense. Initially, script it was pointed out that there were raptors on board as well, and there's kind of it's just it's not explained very well. Like I think kind of they've left that in there without thinking how it's going to turn out in the final product. I did watch a video a while ago which basically showed the script and kind of what happened here, and they've obviously edited all references to the raptors out. So. Yeah, the, 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 it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense based on the edit that it makes no of these people have been ripped to shreds by a T-Rex locked in a cargo hold. Um, 
eventually we get the dumb crew, then that one guy, that guard who, like, gets the hand and, like, opens the door. Just, like, A, what a dumb idiot. He's Nick Van Owen's, like, dad or something like that. B, can we point out, Nick Van Owen's gone from this point on, so he's the Daniel Craig of this movie. Thanks for remembering that. <laughs> and see the reaction of the guard when Malcolm, like, rips it out of his hands. He's like, don't do that. He's just like, what? He just, like, runs away. <laughs> That that actor who got that wrong. Who were you? Oh, I was the dumb guard in Lost World who pressed the button. <laughs> oh, great work! But then the T Rex escapes from the cargo hold and it walks across, and there it is, roaring in front of San Diego. All those people in that building cannot hear a T Rex booming behind them. I love Malcolm's line when he's now you're John Hammond. Um, yeah. I'll just I'll I'll go through everything here. So the the I know you hate this ending sequence, but please like kind of at least slightly like the bit where the T Rex is walking through the houses and the little kid is just like there's a dinosaur in our backyard. <laughs> and then we've got dick parents who hate their child. I'm just like, well, if you made dinner earlier, well, it's not dinner; it's a nightlight. <laughs> it is a proper nightlight. <laughs> Uh, again, probably conversations that Jamie and I have at least on a weekly basis. Something the kid is fussing for some reason. You're both just blaming the other person. It's like, well, if you had fed him earlier, it's like, yeah, well, if you would just keep your voice down and not be on podcasts at 11:49 p.m. every night. I do like the fact that the poor little doggies barking at the T Rex, and then the T Rex is eating. Uh, and then just the chase sequences, like. Apparently, the the Japanese guys that are running away from it, apparently it's actually, they're saying, we left Japan for this. Uh, So, like, they actually say that as they're running away. Um, We also get the bus that's, like, all the people are falling out of it, then crashes into a blockbuster video store with, what is it, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger as King Lear. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Tom Hanks in Tsunami Wave or something. Sunrise. I just love that. Robin this is Williams. like Robin Williams and something else. Jack and the Beanstalk. <laughs> Jack and the Beanstalk. Uh, and then, the, so the guy who then gets eaten trying to run into the building, that's uh, the writer guy, isn't it? David Coet. Yeah, David so Kett. Kind of like, mm-hmm. Yeah, so he, he gets eaten. Um, and then ultimately, Ian and Sarah steal the baby Rex from the, the, the new facility, which, as you said, no one knows is there. Can I just point out, these are the worst guards ever. Like, what has InGen hired these guards for as they steal the dinosaur? What do you think you're doing? <laughs> you want to shoot us? Shoot us. <laughs> okay, shoot them! Like, that's your job! <laughs> to stop people from stealing this, this dinosaur! And, like, you know, badass Ian Malcolm, shoot us. Like, there's a point where they go, okay, bang! <laughs> they could shoot the tires. There's a million things they could do. This is where Ian Malcolm should turn around and go, people are dying in San Diego. Show some respect. <laughs> Show some respect. <laughs> <laughs> they get the, the baby Rex in order to lure the uh, T-Rex back. I do like Malcolm's line when he's like, oh, do you think that when the dinosaur sees us, there's going to be some uh, familiarization there? He's going to be like, oh, you. Um, <laughs> so they drive back to the dock put the baby Rex in the cargo hold, and then poor old Ludlow here gets a death scene, which is just, aw. He somehow doesn't hear a T-Rex walking on a boat. Uh, what does he think he's going to do? Steal a baby Rex and then just walk along with it? Uh, he gets devoured by the uh, baby Rex, which the, the big Rex just kind of looks like, oh, there's my baby. Uh, and then instead of uh, getting shot by a helicopter, 
Uh, Sarah shoots it with a dart and it gets locked in the cargo hold. Now, it took two darts before to make it go to sleep. I don't know how one's making it go to sleep all of a sudden. <laughs> now, I don't know if you can see my profile picture of Malcolm. The scene is always bothered because as they kind of like got this real close-up zoom on uh, Malcolm, you know, with that music in the background, he looks like an elf. He's got, like, pointed ears. Uh, <laughs> go back and You're watch right. That I saw that earlier. It always annoys me. Um, so there we go. Over, sort of. Then we've got Kelly's back, watching TV, uh, seeing an interview with Hammond, talking about life finding a way. The island will be preserved as a biological nature reserve. No one can go see it. And uh, they've got the entire army, probably the British leftovers, um, making the ship go back to Isla Sauna. And a fun little fact, if you look carefully in the, uh, the reflection on the TV screen, uh, when they're showing it, at one point you actually can see Steven Spielberg in it as kind of a cameo. I don't know if you ever knew that. But there you go. Uh, Lost World, Jurassic Park, it's done. I like the ending. I enjoy it. I think it's a fun way to end the movie. I'm probably the only Jurassic Park fan who actually believes that. Over to you, Colin, to speak the truth of the real fans. <laughs> I was just going to say I love when you do episodes on here because your dumb opinions make everyone else on the show look much smarter than you. <laughs> I don't think anybody is going to be siding with you on this. Uh, here, I have to go back to something here uh, because I can't end this episode without pointing out every single bad Kelly moment there is. Uh, so when they're trekking through the jungle and Ian Malcolm is limping and she goes, carry me, yeah. and he just picks her up. Seriously? <laughs> This guy's not fit to walk on his own uh, under his own power. You know, he basically died the first time around. Carry me. There's nothing wrong with her. It's just so lazy. It bothers me. Um. All right. So. So when Jamie says that to you, she's like, "Evan, carry." You're like, no. Yeah. Absolutely. We've probably again had that conversation. Carry me. I'm like, no. No. Ask Casper to carry. <laughs> Um, but okay, let's, let's, I'm glad you brought it up. So it gives me one less thing to talk about, but I just have to say, forget about whether there were raptors on the ship or not. It looks so dumb to see all these dead parts and the dinosaurs in the hold. Now you could even say, I try to explain it to myself and think, well, the t- the dinosaur, the door for the, the cargo is, the cargo bay is kind of like half open. Maybe it killed all these people and then they lured it back in there and they were just in the process of closing it. We have a hand hanging out. The guy who closed it has been eaten since that dinosaur is back in there. This is why the whole, I'm going to change the ending, forget about the pteranodons and the boat and the helicopters and everything else, and let's do this thing in San Diego. Is this the worst idea in, in a long history of bad ideas in Steven Spielberg movies? Because... Nothing here had any thought put into it, and it's all so transparent. There, there are plot holes in here that I can't believe people. I know people bring up that one, but let's talk about the other one here. Ludlow has all the media there. I thank you for all for joining me here in the wee hours of the morning. Blockbuster freaking video still open, okay? <laughs> the wee hours of the morning. Japanese men are holding business meetings, apparently still on Japanese time. Everybody is out getting gas at the gas station. The only person in this entire San Diego who seems to know that it's the wee hours of the morning is the kid who's supposed to be sleeping and his family. They say it's the wee hours of the morning and everything's open. 
<laughs> what is wrong Colin, with this movie? Colin, it's San Diego. It's a city that never sleeps. <laughs> Except, well, that's why the kid couldn't sleep. They should have just been like, no, if you just get him a proper nightlight, well, if you wouldn't feed him bed, hey, it's the city that never sleeps. We shouldn't be arguing about this. All right. <laughs> Let's all that's go the and end see of the, the scene. statue of San Diego in Times Circle. <laughs> Times Circle? Is that a thing? <laughs> it's San Diego's version of Times Square. Move along. That sounds terrible. Uh, seriously, though, the wee hours of the morning and everything's open. Blockbuster video's packed, too. Like, let's just say, that dates the movie more than anything. Well, in 1997, Blockbuster videos had to stay after 24 hours. Because what if you, you wanted know, here, to watch King Lear at 3 in the morning? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give uh, another story. This, is, this goes along with my uh, um, uh, cone heads from the first one. Uh, about not being able to see it. When, when this first came on video, I did get this right away. Now, I didn't buy it. We had, like, two VCRs, and we would trans- rent a movie, transfer from one VCR to the other. Um, but when this was coming out, the first ever Blockbuster in Winnipeg was opening. Like, we had other video stores here, like Canadian-owned ones, but this was the first time, like, the American chain Blockbuster was allowed to open in Canada. So the first Blockbuster was opening... And they offered this deal. This was probably around October or something. They offered a deal where it's like any new release for only 99 cents for the first week they were open. Well, there was another like locally owned video store that was open like a block away, basically across the street and one block down. And they said, well, we're going to go out of business if Blockbuster is here. So let's offer this 99 cent deal permanently and let's see if Blockbuster is willing to budge. And it became this war, this standoff, and I would every single week I just waited for them to change, where the blockbuster that opened the first one in Winnipeg was forced to keep this ninety nine cent for new release deal for like two and a half months because the local business across the street refused to change their prices, knowing they were gonna go out of business anyways. So I got like so many movies really cheap, but they also had this thing and this they shot themselves in the foot with this, uh, this policy where if you don't have a new release on the shelf, you get it free the next time. Mm. I would intentionally try to go like five minutes before closing the day every single new release movie came out, <laughs> knowing that because of this deal, they would have nothing in stock and I got free movies for like a month straight. So that's my memory of renting The Lost World when clever it first came girl. out was because of... Yeah, clever boy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just, it's a great scam. Um, uh, but... No, this blockbuster video is open in the wee hours of the morning and everything's open. The Japanese men are having business deals. Here's my theory. Now, I heard this theory one place before. Most people go along with the whole, oh, Spielberg just thought it needed a better ending. Okay, I don't buy that necessarily because if you look at the running time of this movie, there's not that many deleted scenes. It's like 95 minutes when they leave the island. They weren't going to have another 25-minute action sequence after that. Uh... The rumor I once heard is that because Godzilla was coming out the next year in 1998 and there was already so much hype behind it, they figured while they were already in the middle of filming a movie, we need to get the jump on Godzilla. Let's have the dinosaur. So that was kind of the reason why. Now, it's just a theory I heard once, but it kind of makes sense and it would make sense why they would do this last minute, why they would even throw the Godzilla line in there and why this is also awful and poorly planned. (laughs) Um nothing in this climax really I'm not going to say nothing there are moments here that do work but every time they do something right they get it wrong with some dumb joke I do like that line about there's a dinosaur in our backyard or whatever it's funny 
for a moment, but then you realize this is supposed to be a tense scene, and then the shot of the parents screaming so over the top and cartoony just doesn't work. The kid's taking pictures of it. You have, you know, th- this tense moment where they've got the baby and the baby's waking up, and then the, the giant 76 ball just rolls down the street, and it's like a double take. It's like the, the, the da, 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 like the <laughs> Benny Hill thing again, you know? <laughs> Every time they do something right in this, they have some dumb joke or on-screen gag that kills it and that's what bothers me about this because i like some of the stuff here i like the uh uh the idea of them taking the t-rex which by the way forget about these being the worst guards ever like let's look at it from their point of view they don't know what just happened at the dock all they know is they dropped off a living dinosaur this is probably the first time either of these guards have seen a living dinosaur or even knew these things existed this is a real dinosaur Guard it with your life. This is the future of our company and all of our jobs. The guy shows up. They don't know who Malcolm is. This could be like Dodgson, for all they know. <laughs> this is the guy from Dodgson's company coming to ruin you. If you want to shoot me, shoot me. Do something. <laughs> like, you have to watch these movies from the character's point of view and think, what are they thinking? Going even back to, like, with, with Ludlow, right? Ludlow is not a villain in this movie. You actually see the only time a person dies and somebody actually shows respect as Malcolm wants is when AJ dies. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. He offers him a job. He's sorry that his friend is dead. This is a nice guy. And everything he's doing is to save the company. Like like you said, thousands of people are employed in this company and they're all going to be out of the job if he doesn't do something. Yeah. And he tried to just take all the herbivores. If you watch the beginning of the movie, they're only taking the herbivores. <laughs> only when terrorist Nick Van Owen ruins this do they have to take the carnivore. They take the only one they can get. They take the one that was knocked unconscious. They bring it. They took all these safety precautions and everything. Malcolm comes in. Now, why is Malcolm coming there in the first place? Like, Malcolm, for a guy who didn't want to go to the island, he's like, let me walk straight to the dock where they're going to bring this dinosaur in. And it, Malcolm's attitude totally changes here which also makes it feel like this is not from the same movie. And where did he get this car too? Like, I also wonder, why is he in San Diego? Does everybody on the in this entire franchise live in San Diego? Like, we don't find out where Malcolm's from or whatever, but he doesn't strike me as like, he's living in the same city as Hammond, and uh, Hammond's in the same city as Ludlow, and uh, Sarah's from the same city and everything. And you know, Malcolm's got kids all over the country. This just happens to be the one kid who lives there. And, and Nick <laughs> Van Owen's probably from San Diego. Oh. I don't know. Everything about this well, bothers it, me. I'll, I'll try to. What? I was just going to quickly add. I, you know, referenced right at the beginning of the movie when I said Malcolm's on the San Diego transit line. I just assumed that they all live there. But I mean, is it ever established in the opening? Is he actually in San Diego? Is, is Hammond's place in San Diego? I mean, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. But like, uh, he has book, a car there. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, the blockbuster posters yeah that is kind of funny but again it almost feels like at this point in the movie it's all about gags and they want the audience to notice these things it's not like little things that here's a little easter egg in the background they put Arnold Schwarzenegger's face with King Lear right front and center they want everybody to notice it um the the final thing with Ludlow there this is the thing I was talking about earlier that bothers me when even if there is a villain character, I don't think in like a disaster movie or monster movie like this or anything where it's all about everybody's dying that you should take joy in anybody dying. And the fact that they just feel like we've pointed out a million reasons why Ludlow is not a bad guy at all. And all he's doing here is he's actually – this is just like the whole sexism and survival situations that's completely misunderstood. 
Everybody else is fleeing. He's going in there to try to make sure this animal, maybe this is the case or not, but he's, he's the only one there who can make sure this animal doesn't get, uh, um, uh, get loose again in the city. And the second that it happened, as, so, as soon as the T-Rex got loose, that, that's why, like, that expression he had, and then that whole, now you're John Hammond, which is a great line, he realizes the mistake he made here. Which is why I actually kind of feel bad for Ludlow when he dies here. And the way that it's filmed too, it's like it's cheap it's cheap to the audience when it's supposed to be like, yeah, let that human being die. Like, I don't know why we're supposed to cheer for any human being die. Um, can, we, can we also point out that he's final... married? This is one thing I only noticed this time around. Yeah. Well, I think it was like in, um, and he has in kids. the opening. Does Ludlow have kids? Uh, well, like. Well, Malcolm says your kids will be sharp as tacks. Oh, true. But like, because in I, I think it's in the very beginning of the movie when you meet Ludlow, you see clear as day he's got a wedding ring. Oh no, it's, it's in the scene when he's in the truck when he's like, "Let's set up camp here. I want it done in half an hour." Mm. Um, you see a wedding ring on. So he's another one of our little spin-off movies would have come. Ludlow's yeah. family dealing with his death. <laughs> well, and they're so concerned about everybody. Like throughout the entire course of this movie. Don't go into the long grass. Like, everybody's warning everybody. They don't want one life to be taken here. Even when the helicopters show up, like, does it bother you that, that, that they immediately say, uh, oh, what about all the other people? Oh, don't worry. We're sending another helicopter for them. Mm. Like, these helicopter guys don't care, but, like, they're caring even then. Hey, let's make sure everybody gets out alive. Malcolm knows Ludlow was in there. And Sarah knows Ludlow was in there. They let him die. Like, they're murderers, as far as I'm concerned. Yep. And I'm sorry. The fact that the climax of the first movie was a T-Rex coming in to save the day and killing two raptors. The climax of the, the third movie, which we'll get into another debate on, I think actually holds up and is quite tense. The, the climax of the fourth movie, the, the T-Rex and the Mosasaurus, it's all amazing. The climax of this movie is Julianne Moore shooting a T-Rex with a tranquilizer dart in slow motion. And the fact that it's in slow motion also bothered me because it just looks so painfully 1997. Okay, um, can you just back up for a second and say you want to defend the ending of Jurassic Park 3? Like, I'm still waiting for that ending yes. to actually happen because it just ends so abruptly. <laughs> uh, uh, when we get to it, I'll defend that ending. Um, but I don't even think it needs defending. I think it's a, it's a, it's a pretty tense scene on its own. It's just it's it's an unusual ending. With the uh, 3,000 military cheesy. helicopters that show up out of nowhere that were just weren't there two seconds ago. A guy on the beach, Dr. Grant, and then all of a sudden that <laughs> Billy survived somehow and being found by a helicopter that was not heard buzzing. Yeah, it's a great ending. It's, it makes a lot of sense. Blockbuster video <laughs> open at 3 in the morning. That makes more sense than everything I just pointed out in Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> we'll get there next week. We'll get there. Uh, okay, one other thing to complain about here. Uh, I like the whole news footage. Whenever they make it realistic, I like that. Yeah. Uh, like you're seeing how the world. We talked about that in the DC movies that we like how the DC movies address how does the world respond to something like this happening. Uh, what is with that terrible final shot of all the dinosaurs? Mm-hmm. Because you have T Rexes and Stegosaurus. You have all the carnivores and herbivores, and they're all just living in harmony, like ten feet from each other. Like, it's so stupid, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it's even the final shot just seems to be pieced together at the last minute because they were scrambling. What do we do? Let's just come up with some new ending. It doesn't make any sense why all these dinosaurs are living next to each other. And they even mention in this movie that all of the, the carnivores kind of are centered in the, the, the center of the island. They, they actually 
do uh, kind of a reverse of that in Jurassic Park 3 as well. But here, they're all just living in harmony and it's so stupid and like kumbaya, who cares? They're dinosaurs. They should be killing each other. It doesn't make any sense. Like you're not going to see a tiger sitting there, you know, uh, uh, cleaning the ticks out of a monkey monkey's fur or something like that if you're in the jungles <laughs> of Africa. I just I hate I, I'll the give last you that. 20, I, 30 minutes of this movie. I'll give you that last bit. It's a bit cheesy. And also the fact too that it's like, Hey, here's a pterodactyl. Oh, you wanted to see them in the movie? Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> like five seconds. Because, <laughs> again, they were meant Wait to be in the first years. movie. There's a lot in the second movie. And I know we're going to get in the third movie. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. yeah, it's... Yeah, you, you make some interesting points. But I still like the ending. So, uh, the ending of Jurassic Park. <laughs> this is our Come typical on. episode. Ben says, this stuff's great, isn't it? I say, no, it isn't. Here's all the reasons why. You're like, yeah, good solid point. I still like it. I still like the, also the, the TV bit when the CNN guy is like, and we're just crossing to our reporter who's out in the boat. Can you still hear me there? Yes, I can, Bernard. We're about 30 minutes. <laughs> Don't you know what my favorite Bernard. part of Do you know what my favorite part of that is? There's a real quality shot of the, the, the deck of the ship there. Yeah. <laughs> like six hours of watching the... This is a quality shot of the deck. You know, we've had some good ones up until now, but this is the best deck shot we've gotten yet. Would, would this not be the biggest news story in the history of the world, though? Can we just establish this, right? Yeah. Because, like, Jurassic Park, we've found out that it was all swept under the rug. It was covered up. That's why, like, you know, Malkin's been made to see, like, an absolute goo. We've literally had a dinosaur walk through the streets of San Diego. I want people to imagine that they wake up tomorrow morning and breaking news, mm-hmm. dinosaur <laughs> captured walking through the streets of San Diego. That's going to be a big news story. And they're just also yeah. casually like, <laughs> yes, I can, Bernard. We've got the boat. Come back to the island. <laughs> Shouldn't this be like Quality. trolling coverage? Like, where's Anderson Cooper? How did they create dinosaurs? Let's get to the bottom of it. <laughs> like, it should be huge. Uh, just so casual about it. Um, but yes, anyway, uh, so reviews of this film, uh, it's generally mixed, uh, reception. I think it kind of, when it was released, I remember it being very much praised. Like it was very, really liked, but it's dropped off a lot over the years. It's only got 53% on Rotten Tomatoes, um, 5.6 out of 10, and on Metacritic, 15 out of 100. Uh, Roger Ebert um, said it was uh, three stars. It can be said that the creatures of this film, uh, in this film transcend any visible signs of special effects and seem to walk the earth, but the same realism isn't brought to the human characters who are bound by plot conventions and action formulas. Um, so, I mean, yeah, Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune gave the film two stars and said, I was disappointed as much as I was thrilled because The Lost World lacks a staple of Steven Spielberg adventure films, exciting characters. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Ludlow's well, pretty good. Good uh, thing it has that Steven Spielberg staple of a really stupid child doing something really stupid to kill the tension of a movie that yes, whatever his name loved. Exactly. Uh, um, now, we'll get to the box office in a second. That'll be different. This, uh, in terms of awards and nominations... Uh, it was nominated for Best Visual Effects, uh, but it didn't win. I'm trying to find out what it lost to, if I can get through here quick enough. It lost to Titanic. What a surprise. Titanic? Um, yes, and also was up against Starship Troopers. Uh, so there you go, Academy Award-nominated film Starship Troopers. Um, nominated for a heap of Saturn Awards. 
which included Best Special Effects, Best Supporting Actor for Pete Postlewaite, Best Young Actress for Vanessa Lee Chester, a.k.a. Kelly. We haven't mentioned a name all movie, uh, all episode. Um, best Fantasy Film, Best DVD Collection in 1997. What? Um, and... <laughs> Best Director. It was also nominated for three Golden Raspberry Awards for Worst Remake or Sequel, Worst Reckless Disregard for Human Life and Public Property, and Worst Screenplay. Uh, they didn't win any of them. I'm trying to find out who they lost to. And also the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards. Uh, nominated for Worst Screenplay for a film grossing more than $100 million worldwide using Hollywood math and Worst Sequel. So what? Let's see. 1997... Um, it lost to Speed 2, Cruise Control. Of course it did. What else would it have lost to? <laughs> also nominated that year, Batman and Robin. Wow. You know it's bad. Speed 2's bad when Batman and Robin loses to it. Home Alone 3 and <laughs> Mikhail's Navy. There you go. Um, now the box office is important because, uh, at the time, this had the biggest ever opening weekend, uh, in history. Uh, which is kind of fascinating to look here at just what, how much it's been overtaken. So it made $72 million at the opening box office. Can you tell me, Colin Hilding, what film, what record did it break for the opening weekend? Here's trivia for you. Uh, would it be Batman Forever? It would be Batman Forever. There you go. Look at you, Mr. Smarty Pants. Um, what yeah. movie beat this record? Oh, let's see. Um, Phantom Menace? No, it wasn't. I thought it was, but it wasn't. Hmm. Oh, Phantom Menace opened midweek, yeah. Um, Matrix? No. Reloaded? <laughs> a no, not a really film the same. Spider-Man? Ge- no. It was, it was, well, Spider-Man beat the film that beat this record, though. Think 2001. Jurassic Park? Three? <laughs> no, God, no. Don't say Pearl Harbor. <laughs> no, Harry Potter. Ah. Sorcerers or Philosopher's Stone, whichever part of the world you're in. The interesting thing about the fact that this held the record for the opening ever, biggest ever weekend, this now on the record of all time weekends is the 100th biggest opening <laughs> weekend. 21 years later, it is only just in the top 100. Uh, which is crazy to think that, that like 99 movies have had a bigger weekend than this. Uh, in 21 years. And now, obviously, the record holder is Avengers Affinity War, made nearly $200 million more than The Lost World did in its opening weekend. That is crazy. Uh, this overall did make $229 million domestically, $389 million foreign, so a total of $618 million worldwide. Currently, all-time, it is the 140th most successful film of all time. Now, in 1997... Uh, we know that this was the third most successful movie of the year. I'm sure you can guess what the first movie is. Can you tell me what the second most successful yeah. movie was of 1997? Men in Black. Correct. Uh, only $21 million more. That's interesting. And now the opening weekend of this, I love looking at these. Now, this would have been a very good weekend to go to the movies, Colin Hilding. So Lost World, Jurassic Park <laughs> opened up. A lot of money. Second, oh. uh, Addicted to Love. Matthew Broderick and Meg Ryan. I knew that. Seen... Yeah? Good movie? Have I ever seen it? Okay, here's something interesting, okay? I, I said how I watched this, and I was like, yeah, it was okay. Now, I will just preface this by saying 
the theater I saw it in was like a cheap theater, but I saw Addicted to Love like three times that summer. Wow. But you do like. <laughs> of all movies, I saw Addicted to Love three times. That is like my ultimate chick flick, if you want to call it that. Like, that movie's hilarious. I love it. Good, good, good. Yeah, that'd be in my top five. Um, then, following that, The Fifth Element in its third week of release. Great movie. Austin Powers, International mm-hmm. Man of Mystery. Great movie. Breakdown. A bit of a guilty pleasure. I like Breakdown. Father's Day, Robin Williams, Billy Crystal, can't go wrong. Funny movie, Liar Liar at number seven. Volcano at number eight. Wow. Night Falls of Manhattan, can't say I've heard of it. Uh, number ten, <laughs> I know you don't like this movie, but I like this movie. Anaconda in its seventh week of release, oh. followed by Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, followed by Scream, and other ones on this list, The Saint, Absolute Power, Return of the Jedi Special Edition, the second Jungle Book, Mowgli and Baloo, and Brass Off, which I believe is a Ewan McGregor movie, isn't it? I think I've seen Brass Off. Um, yeah. Does that so just tell you, like, how great 1997 was? I know, right? This is, we missed the trick last year in doing 20th anniversary month, didn't we? We should have done a, a whole mm. one of that. But, um, yeah, there you go. Um, and obviously this spawned a sequel did you know that jurassic Park three <laughs> four years later uh do you have anything else really to add i don't know if i've skipped over anything here when it comes to uh box office reviews awards legacy i guess i mean there was a video game i think i mentioned that i don't know i've missed something yeah uh i mean the only thing is that the box office where i remember you know we we both talked about how huge jurassic park was and that it was one of these things that like everybody was talking about the sequel for years but maybe it was because it was four years and the 90s is especially at a time when a sequel was like two years later every single time if you took three years for a sequel is unusual so maybe because this was four years when it did eventually come out i remember there wasn't like this expectation that it would be the biggest opening weekend of all time if it had come out in 95 i think it would have been but it kind of caught people off guard how much money it made in that opening weekend uh you know and the opening gross was huge or whatever but i guess to go along with it as you were saying like Men in Black by the end of the summer had outgrossed it, uh, and that was like not a movie that people expected to do anything either. Uh, it just sort of was one of these movies that the standard reaction was, like you said, some of the reviews were bad, but some of them were decent. But more or less by the end of the summer, it was just sort of forgotten because there was so much other stuff, even some of the movies we already ran through there, that if they didn't make more money, like The Fifth Element was probably more well-liked by the end of 1997 than The Lost World was. Which will be interesting when it comes to talking about Jurassic Park 3 next week, and we'll do a bit of a preview on that in a second, is that that just, to me, because I, I don't think I really paid too much attention after uh, Lost World, and all of a sudden I remember being in a theatre and seeing a poster, like, Jurassic Park 3? What? Like, it was kind of like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. So that kind of just came out. Of we'll talk about that next week. But um, our reviews, buy it, rent it, bin it. I think you know what I'm going to do. Do what you're going to do. Well, in all fairness, I mean, we're covering these movies because we love them all, even though there's a lot of problems with all the sequels. I mean, I have, I've owned this movie twice. I owned it on DVD, I owned it on Blu-ray. But I'll also say that both of those copies I bought were in box sets. So I never really felt like, like, I saw Addicted to Love three times that summer. <laughs> bought you know, that on cheap, box I set. probably spent... I did, yes. <laughs> the Matthew Broderick love story um, box set uh, 
Uh, has Matthew Broderick done any other romantic comedies? I think that's like the only time he's ever really done like a leading man romantic comedy. I think his um, real life being married to that horse lady is a romantic comedy, but that's not true. <laughs> uh, anyways, but like I should say, considering you know, there's ones at a cheap theater and ones opening night, you know, the biggest uh, movie of the year, I probably spent as much money in three viewings as Addicted to Love as I did the one of Lost World, but just the fact that there were other movies that year that I really got like face off that we talked about already. And, uh, tomorrow never dies. that would come out a couple months after this. Um, this movie sort of just got lost in the shuffle. So by the time it did come out, yeah, I used my scam to get my free VHS <laughs> copy to rent this at blockbuster, but just, it was never one of these movies. I felt the need to see a second time in theaters. It was never one of these movies. I felt the need to own, until I could get in a box set. So I probably would say rent because there's a lot of enjoyable stuff here, but I'm always f- forgiving of it when time passes. If it's been a year since I've watched The Lost World, I'm always very forgiving. I'm like, yeah, I like that movie. And then when I watch it, the entire second half of the movie, I just sort of remember why everything's not bad, but just, eh, it's okay, you know? Uh, it all goes back to the, that the two kids that were sitting behind me in the theater. It's like, yeah, it was all right, I guess. That's That's sort of the way I look at it. Well, I'm buying it. I, yeah, I mean, it's not a surprise. I, as I said, I kind of seem to appreciate this movie every time I watch it. I think I said during Jurassic Park last week that I generally watch these at least once a year. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's generally something I watch every year and I enjoy it. So I think kind of really the franchise takes a huge turn from this point on. To me, this is, you know, really the, the last real connection to the first movie. And I know that Alan Grant is about to appear in the next movie, Nelly Sattler. But, I mean, Jurassic Park 3 is just so different from the first two. And then Jurassic World is just completely different altogether. So, yeah, I think a lot of the reason why it's a nostalgia thing for me that this really does feel connected to the first movie, whereas we're just going to take a big turn starting next week. And speaking of which, let's talk about that now. Jurassic Park 3. Um, yeah, uh, I, I just... I'm so bipolar when I watch this movie because there are definitely enjoyable elements in the movie. I don't hate this movie. I don't absolutely love this movie. I'll watch it and I'll go, yeah, I like that, I like that. But then there are just some stuff which I'm just, I just groan at. Um, I just feel they could have done so much more. And if you read about the potential, what this movie was going to be, uh, there's just so much that would have been amazing had they actually done it. And they just, there were so many script rights with this. There were so many changes. It was just, you know, Michael Crichton was meant to be involved, but then he pulled out. And then just so many things about, about this that just could have been better. And like, I like your kind of, your point that you say you combine the second and the third ones and you're going to have a perfect sequel. But, um, I, I'm very excited though to talk about it because I, I really want to hear your love of this movie because I don't I've ever really talk to someone who likes Jurassic Park 3. I mean, I'm excited to talk about Spinosaurus um, and like things like that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, T. Leone, I like. Not really in this movie. William H. Macy, I like. Nah. I don't know. Ask me next week how I feel about this movie. Right now, I don't know how I'm feeling. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of the same as you with The Lost World. I mean, most people will say, yeah, The Lost World was kind of a... Yeah an average to below average sequel and you just have more of an appreciation for it than most people do even if you can admit all the flaws i can admit all the flaws we're when we first talked about doing the Jurassic park movies we're talking like last year basically we both said yeah we're probably not going to disagree on any points for two and three is just we're each going to take 
you know, either love it or dislike it with it. Uh, and maybe not even love it and dislike it, just one slightly higher on one, one slightly higher than the other. Uh, I think that there's a lot of defenses for this movie that uh, people don't bring up. Like, everybody will say things like, yeah, I love the Spinosaurus. I love the, the Pteranodon cage stuff. Um, you know, I, I love the, the boat scene or whatever. And then they'll be like, oh, yeah, but the movie's too short. I'm like, well, you at least said you loved 50% of the movie because those three <laughs> scenes probably make up 50% of the screen time. I mean, it's a very short movie. It's different from the others. There's reasons for being short. You mentioned, like, all the script rewrites, but even just the fact that an entire subplot of this movie, that there's still hints of it that remain in the movie, was cut out for whatever reason, that it just didn't work on screen or whatever. You do have to kind of wonder... This isn't the movie they intended to make, but one of the reasons I appreciate it is because knowing that history and everything, I'm not saying that you should appreciate a movie that somebody messed up on, but I think this is a perfect example of how you can mess up making a movie, and then in your way of fixing it, you can make something completely different you didn't intend to, which is just a really fast-paced, traditional monster movie. This is like you know an old classic King Kong or Godzilla movie. Uh, it's just it's it's extremely fast paced. It's extremely quick. It's over and it's done with. Uh, it's just fun action. Uh, it doesn't take itself too seriously. There are some good characters in here. They're not deep like some of the others, but you get good performances, good characters, and you've got Alan Grant back. And I'll make the argument that Alan Grant was better in his second outing than I think Ian Malcolm was in his second outing. I know you'll probably disagree with that, but we get a classic Alan Grant here. And his character does evolve, and I think almost everything about the movie is fun, and yet there are things about this movie that don't work, um, and we're probably both going to agree on Alan not working. <laughs> oh, uh, but I, I don't know. I, I think that even the bad stuff in this movie is easier to accept because it's exactly what I said the problem with The Lost World was. When you present a really dark movie that's supposed to be very intelligent and philosophical and taking itself seriously, and then you throw those cheap gags in there... It doesn't work the same as if you present an 82-minute non-stop action monster movie and you throw cheap gags in there. One works and one doesn't. So uh, it's going to be fun to talk about because even though this is an 82-minute movie, it's not going to be three and a half hours like this episode. It's not going to be five and a half hours like <laughs> Jurassic Park. <laughs> but I think we're going to get a lot out of 82 minutes. Yeah, I, you say 82 minutes, I just forget. I mean, that's like Disney children's length of a movie, right? Like, that's so mm -hmm. short. Um, anyway, so that's Jurassic Park 3. That's next week. Uh, we're halfway through. We're, uh, approaching, uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom in only a few weeks' time, and we're excited for that. So in the meantime, like us on Facebook, follow us on, uh, Twitter, subscribe on all the channels, and remember YouTube as well exists, even though we always forget about it. But, uh, I'm excited still to continue about Jurassic Park month. I never want this, mo this month to end, so we're going to start on all the video games and everything else in between hand and make it last forever and rename ourselves Jurassic Park Oz because that's what we should have done in the meantime. But we are going to end it right now. My name is Ben and ooh ah, that's how our podcast starts. But later there's bullshit and crap jokes and show some respect! <laughs> and my name is Colin and ay 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 Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.